For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live, here's Mike Gill. A happy hour Friday starts now on the Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. What's going on, everybody? I'm your host, Mike Gill. Josh Hennings producing today's show. And you out there, we've got All-Star Weekend for the NBA. We've got Phillies pitchers and catchers. we got the Flyers Stadium Series game. Plenty of NFL news and notes. We have a happy hour Friday. What better way to start a snowed-in weekend? Yeah, it's supposed to be snowing tonight through the overnight. You'll wake up tomorrow with snow on the ground, so they say. So it's time for you and I to have a little fun together on this happy hour Friday. Let us know what you're starting the weekend off with. 609-403-0973. Mike McGarry will be here in just a little bit. Adam Kaplan has football at 4 We've got uh, a whole bunch of stuff we're going to dive into today. I don't know if you saw this. You can start thinking about this here for you, Josh. Peter King put out his all-time 53-man roster. His all-time 53-man roster. So interested to see, as a guy like you is kind of a historian of the game, who thumbs his nose up at those who don't pay attention to the history of the game If your all-time 53 has any parallels with his all-time 53, and I will say there are a handful of Eagles on the list. I would like to say that I accept this challenge. I look forward to the comparison. Okay, I look forward to see who your all-time 53 would be up against one of the great writers of the NFL um, legend, legend, Peter King. Uh, he put his all-time NFL 53-man roster out. So I'll give you a little time to put yours together. I didn't even tell you about this because I don't like because I think you're a cheater. I think you cheat too much. And then when you don't cheat, I have to fact check you because generally if you don't cheat, then you're wrong. So I'm going to uh, – I sprung this Wait, on what? you. <laughs> well, if you don't know the answers to the questions already, then you actually try to sound like you do know the answers – and Schwein buys that act, but you can't pass that over on me. So you're saying I shouldn't double-check my work? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying that it is apparent that you have pulled the wool over Schwein's eyes so much that he makes it when you say something that it's gospel. And I say I fact-checked, and many times I have to fact-check. Well, I mean, you can fact-check all you want, but I'm typically right more than I'm wrong. I don't know about that, but this is an opinion-based 53-man roster, so it is not really a right or wrong in this situation. It's that just your 53-man roster. It's mine versus But his. I'm thinking that I would like to see how many of yours matched up with the great Peter Kings. I think it would be a fun exercise. Um, also, 
Uh, later on in the show, about three o'clock today, everybody always loves, the, you know, when you go out to, uh, the establishment and you're sitting down and having a nice cold happy hour Friday suggestion that someone in the listening audience gave us, you like to sit down and you pontificate about quarterbacks and the 33rd team. I don't know how many people out there or who are, um, aware of what the 33rd team is. This is a website. That is essentially a bunch of like former GMs, players, people who worked in the league, right? And they formulated this website called the 33rd team. And it's a basically akin to, hey, there's 32 NFL teams. We all worked in the league and we are the 33rd team. So it's a really cool resource website. So a lot of their former GMs and people, front office executives and players put together a full quarterback off-season power uh, list uh, of the, the quarterbacks entering next season. I have not even looked at the list yet. I have not really seen anything on this list. I just saw, like, the list kind of circulating, so I took the link and put it into our rundown for the day. So and I don't now, really have we- a whole heck of a lot of ideas on what the criterias were, who's on the list, and where they are. In this situation, for those who don't know, we get to switch roles because in the past, you find the article before I do. This time, I found the article before you do, so now I get to quiz you about it. Possible. Now, I mean, no, if you actually, okay, we'll have to we'll have to fact check you on the 33rd team, the quarterbacks. Yes, but if you look at the text board, you'll see I, I emailed it to the text board. Um, it might be the same article that I emailed to you a couple days ago. It could have been. No, I emailed it to the text board like two days ago. I just haven't got to it yet. Oh, then it's the same one. Yeah, I know it's the same one. I'm just saying I had saw it, I think, before you sent it to me. Gotcha. I emailed it to the text board. See, a lot of times when I'm doing pre- preparation for the show, if I see something that I want to talk about, I will email it to the text board and then it's just been so busy the last couple of days when this story actually came out like two days ago right i haven't got a chance to even get to it because we had so many things that we've been talking about but i think on a happy hour friday it's a good opportunity to um you know kind of throw out these uh quarterback everybody loves the quarterback rankings list i'm just interested to see you know what the 33rd team is kind of looking at uh with guys obviously like jalen hurts and dak prescott and who's number two right now patrick mahomes is number one who is number two like it used to be brady and manning or manning and brady and then like breeze was always the third guy like growing up it was manning and brady brady and manning whatever way you like those two and then the third guy, like, became Breeze. He was, like, the next guy. Right. Right now, it's Mahomes and who? Who's, like, the main adversary of Patrick Mahomes? You may be surprised when we go over this list who's ahead of Jalen Hurts. Okay. Well, that's something there. I'm also very intrigued by who's ahead of Hurts, where Hurts is, and CC very who would be the number two quarterback right now in football. Patrick Mahomes is definitely number one. He is. Who would be the number two quarterback by this well-respected group of former GMs, front office people, people who worked in the league? Who do they look at right now as that other guy? The the Mahomes is Brady. Who's Manning? That's what I'm trying to uh, to uh, think about. Like as we we'll get into that list in a little bit. Yep. Six oh nine four oh three. 0973. We have a question over on the 97.3 ESPN social media channels. Questions. 
So I, I thought about this because we're going to talk about the Phillies and they, they reported the other day. We'll talk about them like uh, later on tonight. But here was the question that came across my mind. And, and we've been asking a lot of our guests this week the question, but I want to hear what the listeners think about this. And it's pretty simple. Right now, I was listening to Dave Sampson's podcast, uh, Nothing Personal, this morning. And the basis of the podcast was that there's a lot of big-name free agents out there, and a lot of them are Scott Boris clients. Mm -hmm. And he believes that Boris, like, over-asks, and he's doing a disservice to his clients, that all these big names, and that it's bad for baseball. That baseball has now begun, and there's big-name free agents that don't have teams yet. Look, Blake Snell won the freaking Cy Young Award and essentially had no interest, it seemed like, right? Did Blake Snell ever seem to be buzzing, have any interest? Can you imagine a time in history where the current Cy Young winner was available in free agency and had no offers, no teams interested? It's never insane. heard of such a thing. It's absolutely insane. So he's on the list. Jordan Montgomery, now not quite as established, no, right? No, but he was part of, he was a key part of a team that won the World Series. He was the pitcher that helped Texas win a World Series. He's a guy who can eat a lot of innings. He had a good year last year, 320 ERA. Uh, he's a guy that, by the way, um, has bounced around though. He was with the Yankees. He's with the Cardinals. He finished up in Texas last year. Over his seven year career, He's a little bit over 500, his ERA 368. So he's a good pitcher, not a great pitcher, but has had some big game experience pitching last year uh, all the way to the World Series. In fact, in the World Series last year, he did pitch a game uh, for the um, the Rangers in the ALCS. If you remember, he pitched in three games in the ALCS to help Texas get to the World Series with a 1.29 ERA. So he has a lot of big game playoff experience. So Jordan Montgomery, he's another one. And then there's Cody Bellinger. Cody Bellinger, who possibly you could make an argument, um, you know, if the Cubs were a little bit better of a team last year, I mean, they, they were like a fringe right on the outside of the playoffs, but he finished top 10 in the MVP race last year. This is a guy who has won an MVP. This is a former MVP. And I'm not talking about like back in 2011. I mean, he had an MVP award at 23 years old. He's 27 years old now. So this guy is in the prime of his career. He's won an MVP, rookie of the year, and finished top 10 in the MVP last year. And he's not getting a sniff. Nothing. Nada. So Dave Sampson was suggesting, like, you know, Boris is doing his clients a disservice and that, you know, one of the things he thinks that shouldn't be implemented but should be implemented, if you catch what I'm saying here, mm -hmm. is a deadline. That there should be a deadline that all players have to sign by. And, and of course, he's saying that would be not good for the players. The players wouldn't ever go for that. But it would help get these guys jobs that you have to sign by February 15th or you are not eligible to be on a, a team or, or whatever. I mean, whatever rule you want to put in. But we asked the question at 97.3 ESPN on our social media channels. Phillies fans, hypothetically, 
If you could add one free agent still, and there is some thought that Dave Dombrowski will still pull something, a rabbit out of his back pocket here. He hasn't really tipped his hand to anything here, but there has been some history from Dave Dombrowski to go out and sign a player late in the game. And I guess you would say this is really late in the game. Right. But he has done it before. The 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 the, the Red Sox he did it. He did it with the Tigers where he has brought in guys um and basically late in this game here, uh you play the waiting game, you play the waiting game, you play the waiting game and then you get to the point where hey, I need a job. I'll take the one-year deal or I'll take the two-year deal just to get on a team and if I'm going to go to a team I want to go to a team that has a chance to win a World Series. So that's where the Phillies would be in play here. I mean, they've been a playoff team multiple times. So of the three top-level free agents, Blake Snell, Jordan Montgomery, Cody Bellinger. And if there's somebody else on that list of free agents that's still available that you think would be a good fit, if Dave Dombrowski did one more big move, and it's possible. One more. Which guy would you get? 609-403-0973. Okay, so this is interesting. I'm looking at the uh, social media sites and looking at a lot of the answers to the question. Um, Rick says Montgomery. Now, Montgomery's interesting. He would be the cheapest of the three, I guess. Does it say, if you said, look, it's Snell or Montgomery, I'm going to take Snell. He's better. He's the Cy Young Award. Or is it not as easy as that? Well, I don't think it's as easy as that only because of the fact that Snell does have a very strange pitching history. He's not a guy who's a general innings eater. He's a guy who has had some up and down years. And you have to wonder, was last year peak Snell or not? Um. Well, I mean, he's been... Very good in multiple stops. The question I would have with him is, I think that Philly fans would be annoyed by him. He doesn't go deep into games. He's a guy who yeah, walks guy. Either. He's a guy who can be erratic at times, but he can also be the guy that... Now, here's the problem. He could pitch game seven of the World Series and only give you five innings. They might be five no-hit innings. But for whatever reason, Snell is not a guy that goes deep into games. Montgomery would be the cheaper option, and then there's Bellinger. Okay? So Rick says he would go with Montgomery. Uh, Dave Weinberg checks in from Weinberg Wednesdays. He listed it on our social media platforms, and he said Blake Snell. We've got um, Nick Graff checking in saying Montgomery. Uh, we got Mickey who checks in, and he says, is it Mickey or Mikey? You would think I know. My name is Mike. It's M-I-K-E-Y. It's not Mickey. That would be a C in there. So was it Mikey? I guess it would be Mikey. Mikey I don't anybody's it. ever called me Mikey other than the life serial situation. Mikey checks in. He says, I like Merrifield, and he cost a lot less than Bellinger. So there's another guy who was not on the list, but Whit Merrifield, and his name has come up a few times. Yeah, I like, I like Merrifield a lot personally. That'd be my pick. All right. But there is one other name that people are putting on this list, and it's almost as much as anybody else. In fact, I think it's more. Actually, William Reed checks in, and he says Cody Bellinger. So you have a couple Montgomerys. You have a Snell. You have a Bellinger. And then you have one, two, 
three, four, five, and more, all saying to go after Trevor Bauer. Interesting. So Trevor Bauer is a free agent. He is. He is available for any team to sign. That is correct. Where do the Philly fans, where are the Philly fans on if they sign Trevor Bauer? He has had no buzz. Yeah. He has not been mentioned at all. And he's accused baseball of blackballing him. He has, of course, been out of the game. He had this wild allegation against him, which it really hasn't been proven one way or the other. Well, it was disproven in court that basically they discovered that the lady who was accusing him, there was there was documented evidence that basically she planned this all out ahead of time Correct. with her girlfriend, basically. So he had been pitching in Japan. Correct. His representatives have been at the winter meetings back in December. And there had been no indication at that time that any Major League Baseball team was interested in him. Correct. He is now 33 years old. He has served the longest suspension in the history of baseball, 194 games, uh, for joint domestic violence, sexual assault, and child abuse. As you mentioned, that had been all basically proven to be... Moot in court. Correct. Because there was a huge court case where after... So for those who don't know, after... Um, after Bauer was the charges, the criminal charges were dropped against him. He filed a civil case against the woman who brought the accusations. And part of the court's findings was this information. And basically he said in court that, you know, part of the ruling was that he didn't want money from her. He just wanted the evidence to be made public information so his name could be cleared. Correct. Now, he did pitch in um, Japan. Last season, 259 ERA, 1.13 whip, 160 strikeouts in 156 innings. Uh, Bauer had been one of the best pitchers in baseball. We know that um, he signed that huge deal monster with Los Angeles. And they remain on the hook for $22.5 million. And he will receive the major league minimum. If he signs with anybody else, right? He's not on the personal struggle bus right now financially. He, well, Los Angeles is on the hook for him. They released him. They just ultimately just flat out released him. So he right. gets the major league minimum of wherever he signs. He was due to make $32 million this season. And that will be taken care of by the Dodgers. If anybody signs him, it will be for the league minimum. Uh, I'm surprised that this many fans uh, on the social media site have brought him up. Why is that? Because he's almost been out of sight, out of mind. But it's okay. saying that the Philly fans are saying, no, we didn't forget about this guy. Right? Right. They're basically saying that we know who he is. We know he exists. So this is interesting. So on the text board, 609-403-0973, Rich says, I'm all about Bauer. There should be outrage what happened to that man. He wants league minimum with incentives. Sign him up. That's one text. The very next text says... Don't defend or push for this guy. His actions are horrible. So you got one guy saying, hey, this guy, there should be outrage about what happened to him. And then the very next text says, do not defend or push for this guy. His actions are horrible. So it just shows you <laughs> the, the polarizing nature like of what would happen if a team like the Phillies 
said, you know what? We're going to go sign Trevor Bauer. Yeah, it, it's like walking into a room and asking people who are going to vote for president and everyone's going to kill you. Because everyone's like, oh, don't ruin the vibe in here. Yeah, it's basically like you bring up Trevor Bauer and you're almost talking politics at the uh, Thanksgiving dinner table exactly. here. Uh, Mike, I would never have let Reese Hoskins walk. That's a free agent I would have wanted to sign more than those guys. He is, was the heart and soul of those Phillies teams, in my opinion. Yeah, problem with him, uh, to the text message. You know the answer to the question. I don't really need to explain it to you, but since you brought it up, I will. Reese Hoskins plays first base and first base only. That is where Bryce Harper is playing. Yep. Reese Hoskins' only other option was to desig- be a designated hitter. That is what Kyle Schwarber is doing. Mm-hmm. They cannot play Kyle Schwarber in the outfield for an extended amount of time. Reese Hoskins, yes, heart, soul, right-handed power bat would have fit beautifully in this lineup. Unfortunately, no place to play him. They were stuck between a rock and a hard place there. But I bring up Cody Bellinger because Cody Bellinger is a gold glove level outfielder. He can play in the outfield where you do not want Schwarber in the outfield. So you could play Bellinger in left field or center field and still have Schwarber in the lineup. The only problem with Cody Bellinger is he is a left-handed bat. So you have that situation that is very tricky. But to the text message you brought up, Reese Hoskins, he says, I would never have let Reese walk. So let me ask you, what would you have done with him? Because Bryce Harper's playing first base. Where would you have played Reese Hoskins? There's no place to play him, and it's unfortunate. Well, I mean, I'm sure his answer could be, well, you move Harper back to the outfield. And they felt that Harper could extend his time here by playing first base. It would be less burden for him to play first base. And quite frankly, he wasn't a great outfielder. He wasn't a horrible outfielder. But you have Nick Castellanos playing right field, which is where... Bryce Harper was playing, and Castellanos was starting to settle in as a decent right fielder. You don't want to have to move him over to play left field now. So the problem with Hoskins was defensively he was very poor at first base, right? and he can't play anyplace else. Mike from the Villas chimes in, says Bellinger, a little more depth in the outfield. He has some pop, been in big games. He's got more than some pop. I mean, Bellinger... (laughs) is, look, this is a former MVP we're talking about here. You get Cody Bellinger. If you get the good Cody Bellinger, you've got Harper, Trey Turner, and Cody Bellinger, who are potential MVP candidates. Glenn from Absecon, uh, I see your text on the uh, football stuff. Also, some other people uh, texted in on the football quarterback question, so we'll get that out there as well. 609 403 0973 609-403-0973. I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bash. It's happy hour Friday. We're already getting off to a fun start. So, a couple questions on the table for you guys out there. One, Phillies free agent. If Dave Dombrowski can sign one more guy, Blake Snell, Jordan Montgomery, Cody Bellinger, or other, who is that? Send me a text with your reason, 609 403 0973. Would you have any interest in Trevor Bauer? His name has come up a lot on the social media page. I have not heard his name connected to the Phillies in any way, shape, or form. But would you as a fan be okay if the Phillies went down that road? Also, 33rd team's NFL quarterback power rankings. 
Mahomes is number one. I assume. I haven't seen the list. That is correct. Who is number two? Who is the number two quarterback in the NFL right now behind Patrick Mahomes? 609-403-0973. I'm Mike Gill, and this is the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. It's for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Mike Gill. Do I have everybody's attention now? On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. 2.30 Sports Bash Happy Hour Friday, everybody. Got a lot to do. Got a lot of questions. Text board is still open at 609-403-0973. Got a lot of stuff happening. Text board's been acting pretty hostile today. Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City's here. Busy weekend, All-Star weekend, Cape Atlantic League Championship Basketball this weekend. Also... Don't forget, the Stadium Series game is tomorrow night. Flyers and the Devils over at MetLife Stadium. Phils are down in Clearwater. Let's bring Mike McGarry in for a look at the weekend here on the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. What's going on, Michael? Hey, Mike. How are you? All is good, my man. All right. Phillies baseball this uh, weekend starts the first. The full team workouts jump in. couple questions we gave the listeners. Interesting answers coming in. One of which suggested the Phillies should have got rid of Schwarber and kept Reese Hoskins. How do you uh, respond to that one? I respond to that by asking that person if they're crazy. You cannot get rid of Kyle Schwaber. He's one of the game's premier power hitters, 47 home runs last season alone. Uh, he is very streaky like Reese Hoskins, but Kyle Schwaber is a better hitter than Reese Hoskins. And you've got, you know, Bryce Harper now at first base. Your outfield defense is better. Uh, there was simply Reese Hoskins, an all-time, not an all-time Philly, an all-time Philly moment. You know, game three against the Braves, the bat spike. You know, that's going to be one of the greatest moments in Philly's franchise history. He'll always be remembered for that. But the bottom line is there was really no role for him on this team, and, and that's why he's in Milwaukee right now. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could just say it's not – ludicrous it's a little wild outside the box if you said look the Hoskins bat right-handed is a little bit more evening out of the lineup as sure but I still agree with you I think you need Schwarber here uh but as I said to the guy who sent the text in look there was just no place to play Hoskins you just couldn't make it fit but his right-handed bat would be nice here yeah I mean I mean it would be nice but you're right I mean I'd rather have Kyle Schwaber and Schwaber is basically a better version of Reese Hoskins at the plate. They're basically the same type of hitter, right? They're power hitters. Uh, they're streaky and they're both limited defensively. So Kyle Schwaber is just better than Reese Hoskins. And there's probably only room for one guy like that in your starting lineup. Uh, and that's uh, Kyle Schwaber right now. Um, we asked a question about Snell, Montgomery, Bellinger. I think I asked you that on Wednesday, but I was interested to see the answer I kept getting. And that is Trevor Bauer. Where would you sit if the Phillies, should they make a play for Trevor Bauer? 
No, I mean, I think it's just more trouble than it's worth. I mean, obviously, there's the whole off-field situation, but this is a team that doesn't need those distractions. This is a team that doesn't need the sort of media headache that would come with Trevor Bauer. Uh, you know, they don't need him. You know, Trevor Bauer is is probably going to end up, if he ends up at a team at all, he's going to end up with a team that needs to take a chance, that, that needs to, you know, roll the dice and have something go right. But the Phillies don't need Trevor Bauer or his situation uh, on, on the team. They just don't need that that sort of distraction. All right, Mike, uh, obviously uh, Phil's looking, because the fans are, I mean, I got this Texas. Mike, I would go offense, take Cody Bellinger. Really? Rojas and Cave again? Not good enough. People look at this offense, and now Marsh is getting off to a slow start and saying, you got the same exact team from last year. How can you expect to go deeper in the playoffs with the same team? So do you think Dave Dombrowski still needs to do something? Yeah, I, I think they're still going to do something, but they're not that far away, right? What were they, you know, what were they, two wins away from a World Series title in, in, in 2022 and five wins away in, in 2023. So we're not like we got to remodel the whole thing here. But I, I agree. I look at Rojas, and again, I think uh, this is going to be a big first two weeks to spring training for him. If I was him, I'd get off to a hot start. I think with the power in their lineup, uh, Rojas can play center field and he doesn't have to hit 300. Uh, you know, he can hit like 230, 220, and with his speed and defense, you can get by with that. But he can't hit 045, which is what he hit in the postseason. So he has to show signs that he's improved. Obviously, it looks like he's bulked up from the pictures that we've seen from spring training. He's talked about how hard he worked in the offseason. But still, with Cody Bellinger sitting out there, boy, he just would fit nicely. And again, it would allow Rojas to slide into that fourth outfielder role. And again, I think Rojas with 300 at-bats this season, you're going to love him. 500 at-bats. We might not be that crazy about him. All right, Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City is with us here. Sixers at the All-Star break. We know no Joel Embiid, but the Sixers at the All-Star break, in your mind, are what? In trouble, basically. <laughs> in trouble. I, I, I mean, I just think... Spoken like a true Knicks to, guy. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Knicks are in a little trouble, too. The Knicks limped into the All-Star break, though that was... You know, you can point to, well, the same thing with the Sixers, injuries, right? The Knicks have uh, Julius Randle out and a couple other, uh, on, on Anobi out, a couple other starters out, and they kind of limped into the break, same as the Sixers. The only problem is with the Knicks, Randle and Anunoby and the other starters are due back after the All-Star break. With the Sixers, we don't know when Joel Embiid is coming back. And that Sixer lineup that they put out on the court right now I don't think it's consistent enough to win, and I think you saw it kind of this week with, with how they played. Guys like Kelly Oubre, Buddy Yield, just by their nature, they're going to be you know good one night, bad the next night, and, and that's not a recipe for consistent victories. Um, all right, All-Star break, of course, this weekend. Joel Embiid uh, out for how long? We don't know. We've talked to a couple people this week, Mike, that think that he will come back at some point. When? Not sure, but that he's totally not a lost season. If he comes back, slides in, have you seen enough with Buddy Heald? They get Lowry. Harris comes back. Batum comes back. Melton comes back. We were talking about this yesterday. You know, what does a starting five look like when Joel comes back and this whole team's healthy? And who's the odd man out? This team all of a sudden is very deep with a lot of veteran players who have all been major contributors throughout their career. 
Yeah, I think if Embiid comes back, then we're talking about a Sixers team that we saw at the beginning of the season that was one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference, probably the second best team behind the Boston Celtics, right? If Embiid comes back, I still think you have that capability here, but we have to see him come back. Uh, you know, it's interesting, you know, what, how will Buddy Yield, the, the shooter, you know, you put him out there with Embiid? Uh, what what will Kyle Lowry bring? You know, will Ubre be more consistent now that he goes back to a role where you're not asking him to do as much as you're asking him to do now? So, yeah, if Joel Embiid comes back, this is a team that can contend in the Eastern Conference. We just got to see Joel Embiid come back. Mike, uh, I know off season's the list season. The NFL just ended. Uh, the 33rd team. It's a website I like. You know, it's a lot of guys who used to be GMs or front office guys or played in the league. They put the list together of their off season quarterback power rankings. When we were growing up or when I was growing up, I think you're a little older than me, but it was Brady <laughs> and Manning. They were one and two on everyone's list. Now it's Mahomes one, but is there a definitive number two? Boy, I don't know if there's a definitive number two right now. Uh, I might put Joe Burrows at that number two spot and maybe Josh Allen at number three or in that, you know, in that order. Joe Burrows coming off the injury this season that ended his season. So maybe there's some question marks about him. But I don't think there's a definitive number two guy, right? Because Burrows is coming off an injury. Josh Allen has had some, you know, uh, playoff failures. Lamar Jackson has had some playoff failures. Jalen Hurts didn't have the season that we thought he was going to have uh, this season. So again, it's it's basically Pat Mahomes and the field right now to me. Yeah, I'm interested. I haven't looked at the list yet. We're going to do that uh, right after you're done here in about 20 minutes. We're going to unveil that list. I haven't seen it. I don't know who number two is, but I would guess you're right that Joe Burrow would probably be in that mix. Josh Allen. I'm very intrigued, though, to see where Hurts, I'm sure if the beginning of last year, he probably was in the top five. I'm wondering if he dropped out of the top ten. What do they do with Lamar Jackson? It just seems that there is no definitive number two right now behind Patrick Mahomes. He is widening that gap, if you will. Yeah, I mean, he's looking a little bit like uh, a secretariat maybe in the Belmont Stakes <laughs> a little bit. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think Jalen Hurts is still a top five, top ten guy, right? I mean, you know, I mean, I think you put uh, Mahomes, Burrow, Allen, and, and Jackson there, and then and then you get to a group with like Herbert, uh, Dak Prescott, Hertz. I think at the beginning of the season, maybe Hertz was a little ahead of those guys. I think with his season, now he's fallen back into that pack. But I still think he's a uh, you know definitely a top ten guy, and maybe the outskirts of a top five. All right, Mike, uh, we've reached almost the end of the Cape Atlantic League basketball season. So, um, who are the final two? Yeah, we got actually. A great I should day. say the final four because the girls and the boys are playing uh, tomorrow. Where are the finals? The finals are at Egg Harbor Township tomorrow, noon and 2 p.m. Hopefully this snow that we're supposed to have, this dusting gets out of here early like it's supposed to and the games go off without a hitch. At noon, you got the boys' final, and it's really the game we wanted to see all season long. Middle Township at 25-2, and two, the top seed against Mainland Regional, um, you know, the number three seed. The teams haven't played this season. Uh, it's really a great matchup. You know, Middle Township, a traditional basketball school, but hasn't won a CAL title since 1998. That's hard to believe for 
if you follow local high school basketball, that middle hasn't won one since then. And then you look at the mainland kids, you know, Cohen Cook, Stephen Ordilly, Jamie Tyson. I mean, what haven't they won? They won a football title in the fall, 14-0 state champions, and now they're trying to go for a uh, basketball championship on, on Saturday in the Cape Atlantic League. And that will be followed by the girls game, another great outing, the mainland regional girls looking to become only the third program in uh, Cape Atlantic League girls basketball history to win three straight league titles. And they'll be facing a Wildwood Catholic girls team that's seeking its first uh, uh, Cape Atlantic League championship. So a great day of basketball, noon and 2 o'clock tomorrow at Egg Harbor Township. Okay, AEHC High School is where that is. Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City. You can follow him for all of the coverage. And, of course, uh, the two mainland teams and then upper, t- excuse me, Middle Township and uh, Wildwood Catholic. So they're the four teams remaining in the high school basketball scene. And then, uh, what, the NJSIA playoffs begin when? Tuesday? Wednesday, Wednesday, they give it, they push it back a little bit now to sort of get away from the President's Day weekend. So the state tournament starts uh, Wednesday, and again you're looking at you know Middle Township there in Group Two, and Mainland Boys in Group Three, and the Mainland Girls in Group Three there. So uh, right, the state, you know, best really to me, Mike, the best uh, couple of weeks in high school sports on the high school sports calendar is this stretch. It begins with the Cape Atlantic League tournament, and then goes into the state basketball tournament. There's nothing like a local team getting on a run and going through that state tournament. We saw it last year with the Egg Harbor Township boys. It's just a a great experience and and a lot of fun to cover. Hopefully we get another run by one of the local teams uh, this year, too. I'll leave you with this. Any interest in this weekend's stadium series? You got uh, all the uh, New York area hockey teams plus the Flyers. Flyers, Devils, Saturday night, Rangers, Islanders, Sunday afternoon, all at MetLife. Yeah, I'm home uh, on Saturday night and Sunday, and I'm not a hockey guy, but I do. I will flip it on and, and catch a little bit of this uh, of the stadium series. I like these sort of outdoor games. I like the one they have uh, on uh, on New Year's Day. There, I think it's kind of unique. Again, I'm not a hockey guy by any means. Uh, my Ranger, uh, I grew up a fan of the New York Rangers, but uh, that kind of drifted away from me uh, in the mid 1990s. But I will. Uh, turn the channel on just to see what MetLife looks like, just to see the scene, just to soak it up a little bit. So, yeah, you're, you're, turn, you're home on a Saturday night, Sunday afternoon. Yeah, I, I will definitely be checking in on the uh, stadium. I series. am looking at a picture of MetLife right now, and the ice is down, and the and the, everything is built, and the whole scene. It is a scene. I've been to one of these games before in uh, Pittsburgh at Heinz Field. I was also at Citizens Bank Park for the Flyers against the Rangers. So I've been to two of these, but MetLife is the biggest stadium uh, that I've seen, you know, set up for this. I know there was one. In fact, yesterday I said the biggest stadium for a game was 85,000. It was actually over 100,000 when the Maple Leafs played the Red Wings in a game on New Year's Day a couple of years ago. So 105,000. But MetLife, over 80,000 uh, seats there. So this should be a huge weekend of hockey. And you can listen to the Flyers and the Devils tomorrow night right here on 97.3 ESPN. Mike McGarry, everybody. He's back on Monday. Thanks, Mike. All right, Mike, we'll see you down the road. Thanks. All right, Mike McGarry from the Press of Atlantic City here on the Sports Bash. And, of course, it's Happy Hour Friday, 609-403-0973. The text board is open. David Vineland says, Embiid was having the best season of his career before he went down. Do we really think if he comes back, the Sixers are right back there? No way, he said. 
Depends on when he comes back, Dave. Does he come back with two weeks left in the season? Does he come back with no games left and just goes right to the playoffs? If he goes back and plays two weeks worth of games, I think that's enough for him to kind of get his legs and, and back into rhythm. If he goes back in the first round of the playoffs, who are they playing? Where are they seated? I mean, right now, if you're telling me Embiid hasn't played a game since January and his first game back He's playing in the first round of the playoffs, and they're going up against, you know, Cleveland or Milwaukee or New York, and they might be in some problems. Now, the problem is that who they're probably going to face, one of those teams, because I don't know that they can stay where they are currently in the standings. And by the way, if they stayed where they were, are now currently in the standings, they would be playing the Knicks. They're both uh, four or five, but we'll see. They got to figure out a way to stay in this 4-5 range and then maybe get him beat back for the final two weeks and hope they can jump over the Knicks and just get the home 4-5 as opposed to being at the road team in the 4-5. I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bash coming up at 3 o'clock today. We'll go over that 33rd team quarterback list. We'll try to knock that off. I want to tell you about my friends over at Progressive Fence and Railing. Hey, it's supposed to snow overnight. And you might want something to protect yourself from the snow. And <laughs> I'll tell you what, you get that new deck thinking about the summertime. When this snow clears out, you say, man, I need a deck to sit on for the, for the nice weather. This, this weather right now is, 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 oh man, I can't stand thinking about the fact that it's going to snow tomorrow. A gazebo, something outside, a nice awning, impeccable craftsmanship, finance options that fit your budget. Uh, grab your free estimate today. Visit progressive fence and rail. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers the sports bash with mike gill on 97.3 espn and the free mobile app all right welcome back sports bash live 97.3 espn the 97.3 espn free mobile app you can download the app at the apple store or google play we've got uh football at four with adam kaplan today we're going to take a look at Interestingly enough, the uh, inside the Eagles roster, we're going to look at the offense of who's under contract, who's got the uh, options to or potential to get extended this offseason. So we'll take a deep look at the Eagles' offensive contracts coming up for football at four today on the Sports Bash live on 97.3 ESPN. Don't forget, Saturday night, we've got the Stadium Series game. You can only hear it here on 97.3 ESPN. Starts at 8 o'clock. Puck drops around 8.20. And uh, you'll hear Tim Saunders, Todd Fedorik on the call. Flyers and Devils. And by the way, big game for the Flyers in the sense that the standings right now, if you take a look at the standings between the Flyers and the Devils, this is a big game because two points, as we know, makes a big difference. If all of a sudden Philadelphia loses the game, they stay at 65, Jersey gets to 60. That means it's only a five-point differential. But if Philadelphia could win the game, they go to 67, 
The Devils stayed at 58. Of course, if they win the game in regulation, they would go to 67. The Devils would be at 58. That's a nine-point lead over New Jersey for third place in the Metropolitan Division. Just think about the difference between a nine-point lead and a five-point lead. Pretty substantial when you think about it. And right now, Philadelphia also has two games at hand over the Devils. They have played 55. New Jersey's only played 53. So this is a really big game, it seems like. If you're someone out there that looks at the Flyers and says, look, I know who they are. I understand they might not win a Stanley Cup this year, but it would be a really big moment in their kind of development if they can be a playoff team this year. And to be a playoff team, they're going to have to knock off the teams behind them in the standings. They cannot afford, you know, to lose games. Like last night, for instance, Toronto beat you. Toronto's a team right now that has played 52 games, three less than you, but only has one point less than you do. That's the kind of game that you're like, man, we really got to try to find a way to win that game. Now, you're on the road, Toronto. If they get a shorthanded goal early, first period, they're up one nothing. shorthanded goal. You're feeling like, come on, can we steal a game here? And they couldn't. So a tough one last night for the Orange and Black as they lose to uh, Toronto. There's a game you heard right here on 97.3 ESPN. I watched a lot of that game last night. i got to be honest. No uh, Sixers. Everything's just kind of whatever. Flipped over to the Flyers. I actually turned on right when they scored the shorthanded goal. So I caught the, uh, the shorthanded goal last night. But it was not to be for the Flyers. All right, when we come back, the 33rd team put out their list of all the quarterback rankings for next year. Who is number two? This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live, here's Mike Gill. The one thing that um, fans have to understand and, and executives, we all have to understand it too. You have to be careful when you evaluate the quarterbacks. I think you have to do it historically. I think if you just evaluate, always evaluate the quarterback up against who's in that specific draft class, you can grade a guy too high depending on what the quality of those other players are. That was former NFL GM Dave Ziegler uh, who talked about what to remember when you're evaluating quarterbacks. It's an interesting conversation as we're going to take a look at evaluation of quarterbacks. The 33rd team put out their list, their power rankings, if you will, of all the quarterbacks in the league. But you got Caleb Williams, you got Drake May, you've got J.J. McCarthy, you've got Michael Penix. How do you evaluate them with the quarterbacks that are already in the league? Something to think about as we get ready for draft season. But what about the quarterbacks that are already in the league? We know Patrick Mahomes is number one, but who's number two? I don't know that I have the definitive answer to that. We'll try to take a look at the list right now. Now, how many quarterbacks did they list on the list? How many were total ranked? So the total ranked quarterbacks, they stuck at the 32th. The idea is there are 32 teams. Each one of them has a starting quarterback. So there's no duplicate teams. Like, this guy started half the year, and that guy started half Correct. the year. Because there were so many quarterbacks that played this year. Right, and to your point about the draft, their whole point in this article, and they say it early in the article, they say that we are sticking the guys who are in the team, in the league right now, who recently started what they call, quote, a significant amount of games. Right, so uh, this is not, uh, they're not projecting anybody. Correct. Correct, all right, uh, so Mahomes is number one. Yep, that was the easiest one. Okay, 
So there's been a lot of people texting in who could be number two. Who would be number two right now? In my mind, I have a couple of options here, but I'm going to guess that the number two quarterback, see, Burrow's tough because he got hurt. And he was kind of out of sight, out of mind for a little bit. But I would say that number two on the list right now is Joe Burrow. You would be wrong. Not on their list. Okay. Now, maybe he should be higher than he is. But number two on the list, you want to take another shot? Let me just give it to you. I would imagine and if it's not Joe Burrow, then I'm going to go Josh Allen. So Josh Allen is third on the list. Huh. Number two, they went with Lamar Jackson. And part of what they say in here is, is, quote, what's worth remembering is that 2023 was the first year Jackson was allowed to be a high-volume passer and was doing it with a new offensive coordinator. So it's one Mahomes, two Jackson, three Josh Allen. That is correct. We didn't say where Burrow was. I didn't get the – nope, you do Burrow, yeah. He's not in the top three. So was he the fourth one? He is not number four. Wow. Hmm. In fact, Joe Burrow is not in the top five. Really? That is correct. Okay, so you're talking about it. He's not there. Um, I just want to remind the audience that this is how NFL evaluators look at players. This is not like fantasy football rankings. Here. Right. I mean, if NFL evaluators are saying Joe Burrow is not one of the top five quarterbacks in the league, I think i got to scratch my head. Not um, saying they're right. I'm just saying this is there. <laughs> this is I don't even know if home. I have a guess for number four. If it's not Joe Burrow and you're telling me he's not the fourth guy on the list, who am I even supposed to guess in this situation? I mean, are they telling me right now already that C.J. Stroud is up that high? C.J. Stroud is not number four. He's not in the top five. Herbert. Herbert is number four. Wow. They See, say that's Her- a little high for me. They say Herbert remains the prototype when you consider his size, arm strength, pocket presence, decision-making, and accuracy. And now you give Herbert Jim Harbaugh. I like all that, but to say he's the number four right now over Joe Burrow. Now, they both got hurt, so they both missed a lot of time this year. So you can't yep. say, well, Burrow was hurt, so was Herbert there. So you're telling me that Joe Burrow is not number five. So who would be number five? Oh, man. Um, is this like an obvious one that I'm just like, how are you not getting this? I honestly would have not put this guy this high. He's the higher than I would have put him. Is it, I mean, I, the only other guy I can really even throw into the mix well, you there. you know it's not Burrow and you know it's not Stroud. I, I, I mean, Tua? No. No. Tua, uh, I only, no, Tua's not even in the top 10. I, I have no guess. Matthew Stafford. Yeah, that's not accurate. They said Stafford found his second wind after recovering from injuries. He's the epitome of a gunslinger. He sits back in the pocket and fires the ball in the tight windows all over the field. Yeah, I mean, he's better than I thought and better than I gave him credit for when he was with Detroit and then early on in L.A. He ended up winning that Super Bowl. But he's not the fifth-best quarterback in the league. That's just preposterous. And the fact that he is has shown you where this whole league has just, like, the, the quarterback position has really twisted on its head a little bit. Well, so it's Mahomes, Jackson, Allen, yeah. Herbert, Stafford. Correct. And the back to what Ziegler said, remember, when you're evaluating quarterback, you can't evaluate them just against who they are compare it against you have to compare them against the bigger picture so yeah if you compare Stafford to maybe some of these other guys he's better than them but he's not an all-time top five type quarterback though 
No. And the fact that, okay, so then Joe Burrow, you're saying, is not in the top five. I mean, I'm going to be floored if he's not six. He is not six. I mean, Joe Burrow, to me, is number two right now. There's no question. Like, if you told me you can't have Mahomes take somebody else, I'm taking Joe Burrow. Period. Point blank. End of sentence. The 33rd team is not. And I like these guys' work, too. I think they do a really good job. This list, to me, is already off, way off the... The, the rails here with Mahomes, Jackson, Allen, Herbert, Stafford. I don't know. Are they really high on, I said CJ Stroud. Is he not six? He is seven. Okay. So there's somebody there. Love, Jordan Love. Do they like him that much? They don't like him that high. He is uh, pretty high on this list though. All right. Um, Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence is eighth behind CJ Stroud. Okay. So Stroud is seven. Lawrence is eight. Dak Prescott, is he in here somewhere? Dak Prescott is number six. Yeah, that's They say Prescott played like an MVP. The mental side of the game is Prescott's superpower. Hmm. I mean, I like Prescott more than most. I don't think he's the sixth best quarterback in the entire league. So he's six, Stroud seven, Lawrence is eight. Uh, Joe Burrow, I guess, has to be somewhere in here. Joe Burrow is number nine. Wow. They say Burrow is one of the best and most dynamic quarterbacks when he is at his best. He's wonderful at pre-snap processing, but they have they have reservations because of the numerous injuries. Okay, it's fine to say that the numerous injuries have been, I mean, he got hurt last year. Um, he hurt his wrist or something early in his career. He hurt his wrist. He's hurt his knee. He's had a few different injuries at this point. He's had Took surgery. Took the team to the Super Bowl. He did take the Super Bowl. That's what he said. When he's at his best, when he's healthy, he is one of the best. Yeah, I mean, he took the Cincinnati Bengals to a Super Bowl. Think about that statement and but then they, reevaluate this list. But they violate one of the Mike Gill rules because, Mike, you have always said that you can't factor in injuries all the time, and they are factoring injury here. Um. Yeah, I mean, Lamar Jackson, he's been hurt. He missed time. Herbert, he got hurt. You put him at number four. So if you're going to tell me Herbert's number four, he's not better than Burrow, and Herbert got hurt this year. Stafford, he got hurt last year and missed time. Prescott, he got hurt two years ago and missed half the, uh, 75% of the season. So um, Trevor Lawrence got hurt at the end of this year. I mean, yes, this year, everybody got hurt. Uh, all right, so that's nine. So who's number you 10? You told me that Jordan Love was high on this list, so I'm assuming that he's in there. He is number 10. They say Love's growth during the season was something to behold. Uh, he said they clicked. he clicked in the back half of the season into the playoffs. He transformed into a confident, accurate quarterback. So I guess the question is, Jalen Hurts is not in the top 10. No, he's not. Are you taking him over any of the 10 that were in there? Mahomes, no. Jackson, Allen, Herbert, Stafford, Prescott, C.J. Stroud, Trevor Lawrence, Joe Burrow, and Jordan Love. Or, or is it accurate that Hurts did not land in the top ten? Are you okay with that? I'm okay with it, but I don't like how high they have a couple of these guys. Like, for example, I think Trevor Lawrence has been very disappointing as a quarterback. I think he's shown flashes, but I think he, has, he to me, is not a top ten quarterback at all at this point. It's hard to say. Like, okay, obviously no over Mahomes. Lamar Jackson, I'm not going to sit here and say. Like, some of these, it's like, okay, I don't have a problem with Jackson over Hurts, but mm-hmm. I'm not like, I definitely have to have Jackson over Hurts. Right. Allen, I like Allen more than I like Hurts. 
Herbert. I like Herbert more than I like Hertz, but Herbert just hasn't won anything. Right. Stafford, you taking Stafford over Hertz? I'm personally not. Because I think Stafford is so far close to the end of his career that give me the quarterback. Well, this is, a- I think, what is this that you're saying towards the end of career? Is this just for the 2024 season? They are saying based on who played, who actually played this past season and how they project. To for be next the year. starter for right. next so year. Right, so this isn't a long-term list. This is just who you would want to be your right quarterback Right here, next right year. now, right. Yeah, so would you rather, if you told me right now, Matthew Stafford next year or Jalen Hurts next year? I still go with Hurts. Because I think Hurts is a more dynamic player. C.J. Stroud. I got to go Stroud. I think he, I think Stroud is the next future of this league. I think he is going to be the guy in that conversation with Mahomes and Allen Ooh. very soon. All right, he's number seven on this list. How about Prescott or Hurts? Uh, that one is Prescott's a little too high. Yeah, I mean, if you went the year before, I would like to see what their list was last year to see how far Hertz dropped to see if he was like in the top five and then entering the twenty twenty three season. Um, Trevor Lawrence or Jalen Hurts? I go Hurts. I think Hurts has shown way more than Lawrence. Mm, yeah, her, Lawrence has been good, not great, but very inconsistent. Yes. Joe Burrow, I'm taking over Hurts. That's not Definitely. a question for me. I mean, to me, Joe Burrow is the clear number two for me. Right. Like before I say, who's number two? Thinking about it, Joe Burrow's my clear number two. Burrow's a top five quarterback, no matter how you want to rank it for me. Jordan Love or Jalen Hurts? Jalen Hurts. Love's one year. I can't judge Love over Hurts all based off one year of playing. Well, some would say Hurts only had one good year. His other two years have been lesser than all of those guys. If you told me, if you took out the one Hertz year and just said you got last year and 2021, you would say Hertz is probably accurately ranked. Uh, yes. If that's what you did, you would say, yes, Hertz should not be a top 10. Right. So he's only had the one big year. And I think we're going off of that one big year as to why we think he's being, um, downgraded so much. Yes. I mean, for where he's ranked on this list, I have the list up in front of me now, um, now that I got the 10 out of the way. All right, so number 11, Kyler Murray or Jalen Hurts? I would go Jalen Hurts. I think Hurts has done more in his career. I mean, Murray was a uh, dynamic player. Then he got the knee injury. And last year, I mean, he did help that team play much better. I mean, he helped them win a game against Jalen Hurts. Uh, Geno Smith is number 12. And I'll Geno... I like Gino, but he's not better than Jalen. Well, their own explanation when they say Gino is good, he's not special. So it's like, well, well, anybody from the ten down, I don't think is going to be special. But I mean, that, although there's one guy on this list that you would classify as special, I just don't know if he's going to be if he's special anymore. Right, exactly. I, I see who you're talking about, but yeah, I think Gino is too high as well. Yeah, I do too. I mean, Gino has been a great story. God is, you know. Uh, the deal in Seattle, but I, I think he's just a good quarterback. N- nothing special. Uh, Kirk Cousins or Jalen Hurts? I go Jalen because Jalen's the more dynamic player, and I think Kirk's Kirk as a as a non mobile quarterback is going to hurt him more often than not. All right, Jared Goff or Jalen Hurts? This one, I mean, by the way, I like. Uh, see, Cousins is a better. 
they're different quarterbacks. Like you got the classic drop back passer. If you want that style of quarterback, you might take Cousins over Hurts. That's true. If if your offense calls for that style of quarterback, right? Like they're just so different. Like if you're saying, "What's my style of offense?" Because I could see a world where you would take Cousins as the passer over Hurts as the passer. Sure, maybe if it's like Kyle Shanahan's offense, then yeah, you want a Goff Cousins type quarterback over Hurts. All right. Next up is Jared Goff or Jalen Hurts. This is a tough one. I think the, the perception of Goff was him as the number one pick and not living up to being the number one pick and got that team to a Super Bowl, even though you're like, ah, eh, Goff's not anything special. He gets traded to a team like Detroit. It's much like the Burrow story. If you can win in Detroit, you get extra bonus points. <laughs> I would say I would go with Hertz only for the fact that I think Hertz functions in more different types of offenses than Goff does. I mean, Goff got this team to the NFC Championship game, and they probably should have won that game. And listen, maybe I'm not giving Goff enough credit. He has now been on two. Well, teams. is it that we are we not giving Goff enough credit, or are we giving Hertz too much credit? Maybe, how are both? How much are we weighing in Hertz's 2022 season, and either a over evaluating him, or b Way, like we're weighing that one season way too much, or do we look at the season he just had and said, "Look, that was a really good season." I don't know about that. I think we're we're. I think there's some of both because there. of his 2022 season. It's hard to evaluate who Hertz is because he was almost flawless in 2022. Right. I've never seen a guy go from what he was to what he became. He's almost like the Eagles. They were 10 and 1. That was hurt to 2022. And then last year he was like, what's going on here? Like they were winning games the year before because he was just that good. This year, not the case. So I don't know about uh, the Hertz thing is very odd. Number 15, Aaron Rodgers or Jalen Hurts. Now Rodgers did not play last year and yet he's ranked 15th on this list. If they're a hundred, both guys are a hundred percent healthy. You're going Rodgers. The guy's a future Hall of Famer. He's one of the greatest passers to ever live. And I think that you can't, you can't have an honest conversation about like if, if Rodgers was healthy last year, the Jets are a playoff team and they're probably going deep in the playoffs with that team and that defense, right? I thought they would be the AFC representative in the Super Bowl. That was just. Going way back to August when we were right. talking about that. So if that's the case, then you have to take Rodgers over Hurts, right? Yeah, I mean, if you're telling me I can have Jalen Hurts or Aaron Rodgers next season and I get one crack at it to win a Super Bowl, I'd probably say I'll take a swing with Aaron Rodgers. Yep. Now this one's preposterous. Anthony Richardson at 16. To me, this is the one that makes the list lose credibility. This is a complete and utter projection. He played three games. We know nothing about him at this point. It's like when people were saying Trey Lance is going to be something because he played in a preseason game. Like, why is this guy? I mean, like, I, I got the reasoning in front of me. They said Richardson looked way more put together than most analysts anticipated right out of the gate. He was better than I thought he would be right away. Like, I thought he would really struggle, be really green as grass, but he only played three games. It's not enough. It's way too they have. Anthony Richardson ranked ahead of Jalen Hurts. Now, that's preposterous to me. Yeah, There's at least three or four guys to me that are ranked ahead of Hurts that shouldn't be. Yeah, so you got Hurts coming in at number 17 on the list. He's a 
pretty much right right in the middle of the pack. So are we now looking, if you're the Philadelphia Eagles, do you agree with this list to say, man, we have a quarterback that we paid to be in the top two, three, four, and we got a guy that's in the middle of the pack now? Because if you have a middle of the pack guy, you're in trouble. And this is where their analysis bothers me because they said Hertz isn't a bad quarterback. He's accurate, especially down the field, and doesn't often put the ball in harm's way. What he offers in the run game is a major benefit. I just struggled to get over the bar with Hertz because of some of his inconsistencies. Well, you have a bunch of guys ahead of him that are full of inconsistencies. So I feel like we're not equally applying that. I almost feel like the the 33rd team... I feel like, at least from my perception, that they just don't like Hurts. Again, I'd like to see where he was ranked last year on, on their list to see the difference of, of of where he was and where he dropped. Him. Conveniently, they don't tell you what last year's list was. No, but I'm sure it's easily obtainable to uh, a quick Google search of the 33rd team 2023 quarterback rankings, and something tells me it might pop up. Uh, number 18 on the list is Brock Purdy. Now, Purdy's interesting. I'm a big Purdy guy over most people. I understand his limitations. Um, I'm also surprised that he was 18th on this list. Um, if you said Hertz or Purdy, those two to me are comparable type of guys. I think Hertz and Purdy should be right next to each other, but I think they should be right next to each other further up this list. Like, I think you could put Hertz, like Stafford and Prescott maybe get dropped down a little bit. Uh, Trevor Lawrence gets dropped down. Murray dropped down. Smith gets dropped down. Last year, they had Hurts at number two. Okay, so he went number two last year. Yeah, they had Burrow number three last year, by the way. So Burrow somehow dropped from three to nine. Right. Hurts went from two to 17. So, I mean, to answer your question, I don't know that they dislike Hurts because they had him as the second best quarterback in the NFL entering the season last year. Now, here's the thing. They had Geno Smith 10 last year. So they obviously he had a really good very, year the year before, though. They had, they're very high on him. Um, what's interesting on this list, they had, they had Justin Fields 13 last year. He's at 21 on this list. By the way, 18 is Purdy. 19 is Tua. 20 is Baker Mayfield. Justin Fields is 21. Derek Carr is 22. Daniel Jones, 23. Can you imagine living in a world where Daniel Jones, who barely played, was ranked ahead of Russell Wilson, who was at 24? Bryce Young, 25. Desmond Ritter, 26. Can you imagine writing the check for Deshaun Watson at number 27? Will Levis at 28. Sam Howell at 29. Aiden O'Connell at number 30. Pickett at number 31, and Bailey Zappi at number 32. Can you imagine being Mac Jones and having the 33rd team put more stock into Bailey Zappi that they ranked him on the list and not you? At, that's just Where nice. was Mac Jones last year? 25. So he was 25 last year. He didn't get ranked this year because of Bailey Zappi. And i got to imagine Mac Jones played more football than Bailey Zappi did this year. I think he may play more games, but Zappy definitely did look better than Mac. Where was Purdy on that list last year? Purdy was 17. So Purdy was 17. He actually dropped. Now, come on. That's ridiculous. He had a better year this year than he did last year. How does he drop a spot? Where was Prescott last year? Uh, Prescott was nine. So he went from nine to six. What about Goff? 
Jared Goff was 12. So he went from 12, he dropped to 14. And he had a better year this year. He had a better year. year last year. I, I think uh, we're finding year. out the 33rd team is really messing up here. Yeah, I don't like the list based on some of the things that happened last year. You're telling me Hertz went from 2 to 17, he dropped 15 spots? That makes no sense. It doesn't really. What about uh, Josh Allen? Uh, Josh Allen was four. So he was up one. He was three this year, four last year. That's more reasonable, though. And that's where he belongs. This list should be Mahomes, then Burrow, and then you guys can chalk it up or or hash it out after that. But I think that Burrow being nine is egregious. Even Aaron Rodgers, he didn't play at all. He's a hard one to kind of put in there. But you can't tell me that Kirk Cousins, who didn't play most of the year anyway, that he's 13 and Rodgers is 15. Rodgers was You're telling me year. neither guy played at all more than, how many games did Cousins play this year? Five, six games? I think it was six or seven. Let me double check. So Cousins played five or six games. You're telling me, coming off of injury, both guys hurt, and you said you could have either one of these guys next year. Cousins played eight games. So actually. he played eight games, about half the season. Okay, so still, he missed half the year, missed nine games. They both coming off injury, and you're telling me New York Jets, Minnesota Vikings, you guys can pick one of these guys. You're going to tell me that both teams would not take Aaron Rodgers to be the guy if they get one year? Of course they would. That's, this, list, this list is getting worse and worse. Is what we're talking about? Yeah, Richardson at 16 is is preposterous. Daniel Jones at 23rd, he barely played and wasn't good when he did. So you can't tell me he's better than Russell Wilson. Um, you barely, can, probably can't even tell me that Daniel Jones is better than Sam Howell at this point. Yeah, I mean, Deshaun Watson was actually okay. I mean, Watson at 27 I think is fine, but you can't, okay, you tell me that Deshaun Watson was worse than Desmond Ritter and Bryce Young? No. Okay, so, yeah, this list, I think we got to find a better list. And it's funny, because I picked specifically the 33rd team is because I generally like their opinions this is and like so their disappointing. Work. Well, it's because a lot of those guys, you know, work in the league and you know, I don't know if it was who put the list together. I I had the understanding that the 3013 they kind of collaborative effort from guys who were former GMs in the league. It's a Derek Clazen, he's a film analyst. Okay, well maybe he should stick to analyzing film and maybe like uh different types of film. Right. Yeah, your list is not good there, Derek. 609-403-0973, Shaner and EHT. Happy hour, IPA. And Dear Blood Jägermeister. That's a rough start to the day there, Shaner. A little Dear Blood Jäger. Sad that this Sunday there's no football. How long does your sadness last? Is it easier since the Eagles have been out for a while? Looking forward to me and my buddy, my buddy and me, go Sixers. Um... That's a good question. How long does the non-football sadness malaise kind of kick in? It's a good question. Like this Sunday, I think when you're sitting on the couch and you're like, eh, there's nothing going on. You're looking at the college basketball. And I'm a big college basketball fan, but I got to be honest with you. College basketball is so bad right now. It's a tough product to watch. You're going to watch college hoops, stadium series, the NBA All-Star Game is not so at night. Yeah, you're right, Shaner. Now that I'm thinking about it, the sadness will kick in on Sunday. And then it kind of fades away once the Phillies' spring training games start to air on TV. Yeah, the Phillies will light you up. All right, Sports Fast Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Coming up. 
Peter King's all-time 53-man roster. Josh put his together. He's going to try to see how many he can match with the great Peter King. That's next. This is the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. We have the... For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. ClickGranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Thank you for coming, man. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. 332 Sports Bash. Hey, don't forget to see my friend Rocco over at Key Acura of Atlantic City now through February 29th. He can get you into 2024 Acura Integra Lease. Just three sixty nine a month, and a two twenty uh, twenty four MDX lease for four eighty nine a month. Beginning March second, that service department will be open on Saturdays again. So stop in and see Rocco at Key Acura of Atlantic City, Tilton Road, EHT, the small but friendly dealer online, KeyAcuraOfAtlanticCity.com. So Peter King over at NBC Sports and of course MMQB put together his all time. 53-man roster. This is his all-time 53-man roster, offense and defense. Now, we're going to focus on the offensive side of the ball first today. So, first offense. Now, this is a little tricky because he did list, like, quarterbacks four. Okay, so I listed three quarterbacks. So I I went through my list, and I came up with... Three quarterbacks. He goes four quarterbacks, three running backs, I went a four back. Running. See, I went four running back. Three tackles, three guards, one center, two tight ends, four receivers. There you go. That's his uh, all-time NFL 53-man roster on the offensive side of the ball. So, um, you said you listed how many quarterbacks? I went three quarterbacks. Okay. I went Brady, Montana, Mahomes. Yeah, he went for Brady, Montana, Peyton Manning, and Patrick Mahomes. All right. So he threw four in there. You went uh, Brady, Manning, Mahomes? I went no Brady, Mont- Montana, Oh, Mahomes. no Manning. You went no, no Manning. Manning. Manning didn't make my cut. Okay. And honestly, if I went for, I think that's the only way Manning could make my cut, honestly. Yeah, well, if you obviously went three and he didn't make it, that's the only way he would be get it if he went to four. Because, I mean, you you can make an argument that maybe Manning shouldn't even be there. I mean, the, Manning, for as great as he was, you know, it's weird because he was an amazing regular season guy. He didn't have as much postseason success as the other guys. So it's kind of a it's kind of an interesting juggling act. All right. So, um, by the way, he said he went with uh, a full team of 53 – and he said, one no trimmer. I don't include players like this one guy who I covered sparingly, whose careers were at least half over by the time I started the business in 1984. Oh, so he didn't go back all the way back. It doesn't seem like it. So gotcha. He has three running backs. All right. I have four. I went Walter Payton, Barry Sanders, Ladanian Tomlinson, Marcus Allen. Okay. 
So the guy he mentioned that he did not include because he only saw half of his career was Walter Payton. Okay. So he did not make his list. He only has three. Barry Sanders, LaDainian Tomlinson, and Derek Henry. He said his guys wow. who just missed the list were Terrell Davis and Adrian Peterson. Yeah, I would have taken Peterson over Derrick Henry. When when it, AP, when he was at his peak, he was an MVP. He literally won the MVP award. Well, this is what he said about Henry. In my 40 seasons, I've never seen a back do what Henry did in 2019. He rushed for 211 yards in the final week of the season to clinch a playoff spot. He rushed for 182 yards in Foxborough to knock the Patriots from the playoffs in Tom Brady's last game there. And he rushed for 195 yards to beat the top seed at Ravens in Baltimore. He is the most physically dominating back in the game in the last half century. I think Peterson would have a good argument against that. Okay. Uh, he does he have a fullback listed? He does. I went Jim Taylor. He's got Maurice Carthon, who played for the Giants. Because he's going guys that he, you know, covered. So I, I went Jim Taylor because of the Packers. Taylor was a big reason why they were able to do the sweep play for the Packers. Yeah, he just said rock-solid blocker, totally unselfish. Um, and he mentioned that he played for the Giants from the USFL Jersey Generals and started 19 games for the Generals plus a playoff game and then 18 games including two playoff games for the Giants in a 10-month span. So it was given the Ironman credit. Correct. He said, you know, basically rock-solid, unselfish. Um, he took three weeks off between the USFL season and the NFL season. So Maurice Carthon. All right, his tackle, he has three listed. I have four tackles. I went Anthony Munoz. Who was on Radio Row, by the way. Oh, yeah? Nice. Jonathan Ogden. Jackie Slater and Orlando Pace. He went Anthony Munoz, Jonathan Ogden, and Joe Thomas. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let me ask you real quick. If you had to choose between Orlando Pace and Joe Thomas, who would you take? Um, I liked Orlando Pace a lot. He was on those great Ram teams. Mm -hmm. Ohio State, he was outstanding. Joe Thomas was very good, but played on a very bad Cleveland franchise. So he never maybe got the notoriety that he should that maybe Peter King is giving him. But Orlando Pace was a stud. So so you give me a thumbs up for putting Pace on my list. Pace should be on your list, yes. All right. Guard. I have He's four. He's got three. I have four. I went Larry Allen. Will Shields, Jerry Kramer, and Bruce Matthews. He went Larry Allen, Russ Grimm, and Jahari Evans. Wow. Was not expecting that. <laughs> I mean, I went Jerry Kramer because of the Packers teams. Again, huge part of their success. Bruce Matthews, who he kind of could list him at any position because he's, he's, he was the original Iron Man streak he had. And then, I mean, Will Shields. I mean, that dude was a monster. Uh, yeah, guard, uh, Russ Grimm, I remember he was a little early. I mean, he was back in the, Washington. Uh, the hog days, right? So, but, uh, from 81 to 91, which is, you know, he missed the beginning of his, uh, career, actually. But I do remember Russ Grimm, Joe Jacoby, mm -hmm. like the, uh, the hogs from Washington. All right. Center. I have two. He has one. Who is his one? Who's your two? <laughs> <laughs> Jason Kelsey and Mike Webster. Yeah, he's got Jason Kelsey. And he said apologies to Tom Nalen that Kelsey is the most versatile center that he's ever seen. I made Kelsey my number one center. Mike Webster is my number two. Think about, though, 
your all 53-man roster of all time, Peter King is saying Jason Kelsey is essentially the greatest center he's ever seen. That's impressive. It's unbelievable to think about. This guy was drafted in the sixth round, kind of nonchalantly got here, took over the center spot. You know, there was a bunch of guys, uh, Jackson, um, uh, who was Hank the guy? Fraley. Hank Fraley. They had a bunch of guys just kind of rotating through there. And then Kelsey got drafted in the sixth round and has essentially been the guy ever since. And there was a time late during the Andy Reid era that you or in the Chip Kelly era where you're like, ah, Kelsey's kind of done. It's kind of trying to maybe move on from him. And then he just kind of resurrected his career. For those who don't know, Mike Webster was the anchor of the Steelers' 70s teams. Yes, I do remember Mike Webster. I got a football card of him back in, like, you know, 1980-something, and he had, like, you know, really, um, uh, you know, it, back then in, like, the 80s, these guys playing looked like they were, like, 50 years old, right? <laughs> you know, you were like, this guy's playing in the NFL. Like, can you imagine guys looking like Mike Webster playing right. in the NFL now? No. <laughs> uh, all right, tight end. He has two. I have three. I went Rob Gronkowski. Kellen Winslow Sr. Who was on the locker room this past weekend. He was. And Travis Kelsey. All right. He went Gronk and Travis Kelsey, and he said his number three was Mark Bavaro ahead of Jason Witten. Yeah, if you're if you're mentioning another guy, how does he not mention Tony Gonzalez over Mark Bavaro? I would agree. I would agree that, to me, it would be Gronk, Kelsey, Tony Gonzalez. Kellen Winslow, as we talked about at Radio Row, Possibly was the greatest tight end of all time up into a point when Gronk came in 2010, Kelsey 2013. You know, th those two guys kind of reset sure. the standards. All right, wide receiver. I have five. He's got four. Okay. Jerry Rice. Chris One. Carter. Not on the list. What? Terrell Owens. No T.O. Randy Moss. Randy Moss. Larry Fitzgerald. No Larry Fitz. Who the heck is on his list? All right. So. This is where we really differ here. You've got Jerry Rice, Randy Moss. I think those two are very fair. Heinz Ward. What? Yeah, I got a problem with that one. I, and then Tyreek Hill. No. Absolutely not. He wrote, Hill is so gifted, so fast, so instinctive, so explosive. In a time when wide receiver is more important than any time in pro football history, he is the singular downfield threat. Oh, my goodness. If that's the case, put Tim Brown on the list. Tim Brown was the, was the elite downfield threat of the 90s. Yeah, well, he might have been of the 90s, but Hill is better today than Brown was in the 90s. I like Tyreek Hill better than I like Tim Brown. That's not to say I didn't like Tim Brown. I think Tyreek Hill is, you know, flipping amazing. I mean, he was in the pretty much should have been at the conversation for MVP this year for a while. That's true. Yeah. Hines Ward is the one I find. And he says about Hines Ward, he said, Ward's here because he's the best blocking wide receiver I've ever seen. And he also caught 1,000 passes. I would take Larry Fitzgerald over Heinz Ward. I would as well. Larry Fitzgerald was a big, physical guy, caught a lot of passes. He was unselfish, could make the big catch. Larry Fitzgerald, a pit guy, by the way, grr, I have to say, would be ahead of Heinz Ward. I got Chris Carter on my list as well, by the way, because I think Chris Carter has some of the best hands I ever saw. I don't remember Chris Carter dropping balls. You know what I mean? Like I feel like so many guys today drop the ball, 
And like Chris Carter felt like if you got it somewhere in his radius, he caught it. He was incredible. All right, that's uh, Peter King's 53. We'll try to go through the uh, defensive side of the ball. He's got 19 on defense. 21 on offense, 19 on defense, and he did a bunch of special teamers as well. I have two special teamers, by the way. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Don't forget to visit my friends over at the Nizam's Indian Restaurant. If you're going to do so this weekend, how about Sunday? they got the great buffet going on. You can try out everything on the menu or go to the bigger party and try out everything. Sample it all, but make sure you make an appointment to go there. Not an appointment. You don't have to call and make an appointment. I'm just saying, hey. Get your friends together and say, hey, we're all going to try it out together. The Nizam's Indian Restaurant was voted the number two best restaurant in the entire state of New Jersey. It's right over there by Boscov's in the old Shore Mall. Nizam's. Here on the Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. It's a basketball weekend, the All-Star Game, plus the Cape Atlantic League Finals at Egg Harbor Township. We got all that, plus football at four on the way with Adam Kaplan here on the Sports Bash. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. All right, Kendall, the top of the hour, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. So Peter King did his uh, all-time 53-man roster. We just looked at the offensive side of the ball. Josh took his shot at uh, his all-time 53-man roster. We'll quickly jump over to the defensive side of the ball. Let's start with the defensive ends. He went with three. I got four. Reggie White, Deacon Jones, Bruce Smith, Jared Allen. He went Bruce Smith, Reggie White, Michael Strahan. And I would take Allen over Strahan. Wow. Okay. I thought Allen was a more dynamic pass rusher. He said Strahan, uh, one of the few great players that was better in his 30s than he was in his 20s. Okay, and he was very good against the run as well. He was very good against the run. I will give him that. Uh, all right, let's go to defensive tackle where he had three. I had four. Joe Green, John Randall, Warren Sapp, Aaron Donald. John Randall, Aaron Donald, and Cortez Kennedy. Would you take Warren Sapp or Cortez Kennedy? I liked Warren Sapp a lot. All right, uh, Kennedy was pretty darn good, though. He was really good, but Warren Sapp was a freak. All right. He has one hybrid. J.J. Watt. Basically, he said he played every position on the line, depending on the matchup. That's he went true. up and down. Um, all right. He also has one edge rusher. Okay. I don't have an edge rusher. I have five linebackers. So who's the edge rusher? Von Miller. Okay. Von Miller didn't make my list. Outside linebackers. He has two. My outside linebackers, I also have two. Lawrence Taylor and Derek Brooks. They are the two that he went with as well. Good job. Good job. I have three middle linebackers. He has three. Ray Lewis. One. Mike Singletary. Not on the list. And Junior Seau. On the list. He went with Teddy Bruschi. Okay. You like Bruschi on there? Not over Singletary. All right. Corner. I got five. He went with three. D. 
Deion Sanders. One. Darrell Revis. Did not make it. Champ Bailey. Not on the list. Charles Woodson. No. Daryl Green. Daryl Green on the list. The other one was Richard Sherman. So are you taking... He didn't have Darrell Revis, you said? He had Sanders, Sherman, and Daryl Green. Got to have Revis over Sherman. I loved Revis. So you're with me there. All right. I am. Safety. Three. Four. Troy Palomalu. On the list. Ed Reed. On the list. Brian Dawkins. Did not make it. Come on, man. And Rod Woodson. No Rod Woodson. He went with Tyron Matthew. That's horrible. <laughs> That's just poor. <laughs> he Come said he on, was a safety, man. a corner, a linebacker, and a return man. Dawkins is one of the greatest safeties of all time. Uh, I think Dawkins gets a little overblown because he was an Eagle favorite. I don't know that he was as good as some of these other greats. He certainly wasn't as good as Ed Reed and Troy Palomalo. Would you rather have him or Dawkins or Matthew? No doubt I'd rather have Dawkins. All right, there we go. Uh, special teams, he went with Adam Vinatieri. I went to Justin Tucker. Shane Leckler as the punter. I went with Ray Guy. And then he went with five players. Steve Tasker, Matthew I Tasker. Slater. I got Slater. Raina Thompson. Nope. Brian Mitchell. Don't got him. David Tyree. I have a long snapper. John Dornboss. Okay. Uh, <laughs> he did not go long snapper, I don't think. He has a return man, Devin Hester. And then he has five guys on his bench, just five random guys. He went with James Harrison. Interesting. Chris Hogan. Slot receiver. Slot Mark receiver. Bavaro. He loves Mark Bavaro. Christian McCaffrey. Okay. And Michael Irvin. Michael Irvin. There you go. The playmaker. That is Peter King's all-time 53-man roster. So now, in your opinion... Sounds like there's some bias in this. So in your opinion, do you think my list at least stacks up? Yeah, there? absolutely. You hit almost every single guy that he said. Now, he said, it's a fun exercise. I took two days on it. When you see an odd pick here or wonder why Emmett Smith and Drew Brees and Tony Gonzalez and Rod Woodson aren't there... There's no good reason other than the players I picked are the ones I like the most over the last four decades to impact games, the winning players to be the kind of players who don't rest until they succeed. He took two days after two hours. Yeah, good job out of you. I think it makes my you list hit better. off a lot of them. Yeah. Now, did you cheat and look at his list? No, I just got all the paper written all over the place. I got a disaster of papers in front of me. A lot of text messages coming in. 609-403-0973. This hour of the show brought to you by Broadley's Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. They're your trusted source for heating and plumbing service and installation for generations. Call them at 609-390-3907. Online at broadleys.net. I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bash. When we come back, Adam Kaplan is here for a little football at four on a Friday edition of the Sports Bash. 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with Adam Kaplan, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. I give my heart and soul to this franchise, as so many of us do. Now live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, this is Football at Four. Football at Four is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. It's brought to you by Bet365, whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. Adam Kaplan from the Inside the Birds podcast is here, which you can get on any podcasting platform or their YouTube channel. Just search 
inside the birds. And the Eagles offseason is now in full swing. The Eagles, do they have a lot of questions on the offensive side of the ball? We're going to take a look at some offense today with Adam Kaplan and the uh, questions and decisions they're going to have to make on that side of the ball. And uh, today's Inside the Birds show, they focused on that Eagles roster. We're going to look on the offensive side of the ball. Adam Kaplan, happy hour Friday to you, sir. Yeah, Mike, good to be with you. Yeah, no doubt about it. So, yeah, the, the, today's show, which is, uh, you know, on, on any platform, whether it's YouTube, by the way, or YouTube channel or podcasting platform, we, we did. We And the thing is, the reason why we do this, we do a deep dive and start getting an idea of where the issues are. And as we so, and we're going to do defense on Monday morning at 6 a.m. Eastern. That's when our next show drops. You start to see that there are real depth issues. Sure, free agency is for several months. But it just tells you to start free agency on March the 13th. They've got some major challenges here in terms of depth. What happens if somebody gets hurt? And that's the problem. A lot of expiring contracts. They're, now, they were, they were, we thought they had good depth at receiver. Well, it wasn't really tested because Sirianni and his scheme didn't really use three receivers. But I think things are going to change here with Kellen Moore. Yeah, that's uh, one of the big things everybody seemingly is uh, waiting to see. What is different about this offense next year with Kellen Moore kind of running it, calling the plays, and who does it benefit, right? Who does who who kind of makes out more in this change from the old offense to the new offense? Which guys have some bigger roles uh, than than they did maybe in, in last year's offense? That that kind of stuff is uh, yeah. stuff we'll probably find out during training camp a little bit more. Although I could tell you, I did talk to more last summer at Chargers camp. We had a nice talk for five minutes. And, you know, I, I, I went by what I knew about his scheme from talking to people who worked with him before. And it, it really started, he said his belief system started at Boise and the system that he played, which was the pure spread. And he, he took what he learned from his time with uh, Mike McCarthy and before that, uh, Jason Garrett, which is more of the well, the, the 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 Garrett system is really from North Turner, and that's more heavy twelve personnel and just uh, some power sets. And then with Mike McCarthy, the West Coast offense, he, he included those principles. But every, everything he starts with starts with spread. That that's where he got it out of. Um, he, he's as one coaching source who we're trying to get on our show, uh, who's known Kellen for a long time. He said the guy's actually out of work. We're trying to get him on next week. Uh, Paul Gunther, by the way, we were going to have on, but Paul's going back to to work. Uh, you know, the former Raiders D coordinator, he's going to go back to work with Mike uh, Zimmer uh, with the Cowboys. So that's that's scratch. We're going to have him on our show. So, but anyway, we we know that Kellen Moore offense like the back of her hand based on people we spoke with and talking to Kellen. So it's a high pressure, high pressure offense that is spread in, in its base, and the backs will catch the football. You saw Tony Pollard was terrific in it two years ago. I don't know what happened to Pollard this season with Dallas, although the passing game was great. But I do – so to answer your question, Mike, with this forward, I do believe it, it, it does favor Jalen Hurts. He's going to have to check the ball down more. You know, I know something that we're looking into because we know he doesn't like to. By the way, Carson Wentz didn't like to do it either. But this is one thing that I thought was unacceptable last season, the lack of use of the running backs. How do you trade for DeAndre Swift, who's dynamic in the pass game, and not get him in the ball in there? Like they did earlier in the season, like they started off doing it, then they stopped. All right, well, let's look at that, because you look at this roster. Hertz is here. Mariota is gone. They're, they're, like, they're yep. Luckily, yep. they're going to have to go with Tanner McKee as the main backup to try to save some money at the backup quarterback position or find another veteran guy. 
But then the running back spot, the only guy they really have, you got Kenny Gainwell. Uh, everybody else is either a free agent or free to move on. Boston Scott gone. Uh, obviously, Swift is a free agent. Uh, Gainwell and a gentleman named Lou Nichols. <laughs> yeah, Lou Nichols was with, uh, he was a seventh round pick, I believe, of the Packers last year. Uh, and he's a power back, by the way. But yeah, they don't have anyone else on our contract. But let me get back to quarterback. I strongly suspect they're going to bring a veteran in uh, to either just hand them the number two job or compete against it, against McKee. It, look, McKee did not have a great training camp. It was his preseason where it was like, wow, what an arm. Big kid doesn't move all that well. It's What's interesting is, Mike, you know, with Hurts, obviously he's very mobile, and this other guy is not. So... What kind, you know, will you adjust your play calling? How much will Hurts run the football? That we don't know because Dak didn't have a lot designed for him with a run game under, under more. It was more scrambles. And that's really what Dak has been in, in recent years. He's more scrambles, not a lot of design runs. So we don't know that, that, that's a mystery on how they're going to, they're going to coach him with ter- terms of, with Hurts is going to be mostly a drop back system, which has really been Moore's offense anyway. Uh, you know, it wasn't like they were asking Justin Herbert to run the ball much. Uh, you know, unfortunately, Herbert got hurt to end the season. He missed the final, I think, what, four or five games. But so that's quarterback and running back, yeah. So Kenny Gainwell, we know we outlined this after Gainwell was drafted. We had heard very strongly that Sirianni uh, pushed for him. He wanted him uh, in a big way, and he got him. And you, he definitely has a good role. Uh, but they need juice in that backfield. Gainwell's not as explosive as we thought he was at, at Memphis. And it's not been as ver- quite as versatile now. Is that because they don't call the, the pass plays? Don't know. That That's something we're going to learn a lot. Uh, and and I, we got fooled by what we saw in OTAs and training camp because it was crazy how much Swift was used there. And then he wasn't used much after like week four, week five in the, in the pass game. So that is the mystery. But the other thing is they gotta, they're going to have to add at least two running backs, uh, maybe three. We'll see. Definitely two because you have to go into training camp with five. Four is really challenging. Most teams don't do that. So they've got a lot a lot of work to do. And I know they have some interest in bringing back Swift, but it's it's cost-effectiveness. And they, they never – I don't believe they made an offer, by the way, to bring back Miles Sanders, and probably thankfully. He got $6 million a year, and by the way – He's got a significant amount of fully guaranteed money due in, in his Panthers contract. Good luck to the Panthers. Well, it, it'll that. be interesting to see what the market for running backs is this year. I mean, yeah. you got some high profile Josh Jacobs, Saquon Barkley. Yep, yep. You got some big name running backs on the market to see Good what point. that ends up doing there. Yep. yep. Uh, what about, and, and, yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I don't know that Swift is, Swift is not in Jacobs area. Now, Barkley did not have a good year. He's got a big injury history. He's, he's more talented. Uh, that you know, boy Barkley's contract wherever he goes is going to be fascinating because of his injury history. Let's look at the wide receivers because we all know Smith and Brown. And then what is left after that? There's a bunch of uh, you know vagabonds, castoffs, and guys you never heard of before. Yeah, and that's really it. So right now they 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 only have two receivers. I'm not counting Covey, who barely played receiver. As you know, he's a slot and he got a couple reps last year. So they don't have a three, four, five right now. I, I know it's early. And as I said on today's show, it was such an egregious error to not use Hakeas as a third receiver. They got this is something I know Kellen Moore sure as heck would, whoever it is, because he's done that in the past. The third receiver gets the football. So that to me, they'd be making a mistake by not looking to bring, bring back Hakeas. It wasn't his fault. It's just that Sirianni and his scheme and the play calling was bad. They just didn't. They did not diversify their their, their scheme. 
or the personnel, and that's something that will definitely change with Kellen Moore, who is going to have full autonomy, we're told, uh, pretty strongly. He could do what he needs to do. Nick will have some input, but he can't, he can't overrule him unless it's like – Unless it's Mike because he's a head coach. He goes, oh, I don't like that play call. You know, and Nick has done that before, and all head coaches can do that. But in terms of game planning, it's going to be Kellen Moore's show. So I'm really looking forward to see what they do for their third and fourth receivers. And the Watkins kid is really interesting, by the way, uh, who who was with Cleveland. Uh, so, But overall, you're right, Mike. They don't have anyone with any experience. And that's that's the thing is we, we, we did this deep dive into the roster the lack of experience as their, for their backups, well, Mike, they just don't have any under, anyone under contract. They just very few guys who have ever done thing in the NFL do the Eagles have as backups right now. Yeah, and then the other spot is tight end. I mean, obviously last year you had Goddard, and then when he got hurt, there was a big drop-off at that spot. Yep. Do they go back with the same group of guys there? Is that another area of this Eagles offseason that they need to try to find uh, a better option? Yeah, well, Calcaterra's the three. Jack Stoll is, is their two. The unquestioned two is a restricted free agent. As I said on today's show, though there's nothing official, my sense is, is he's more likely not to get tendered or to, to, or to get tendered. It's probably probably not because the if they even use a low tenor on him, it's, it's a lot of money to be a backup tight end. As much as they like him and they don't want to lose him, obviously if they don't tender him, he's free to go anywhere, and that that's the, the risk that they run. But... They know his agent very well. They've done a lot of business with him. We'll see what happens. But overall, Mike, yeah, that's another position. And I threw this out uh, last week. Would it surprise anyone if the Eagles used a pick within the first three rounds for a tight end? Yeah, I mean, this is where they took um, Goddard in uh, the yep. draft when they had Zach Ertz. It was at the same time. Goddard was uh, uh, drafted mm-hmm. in the, what, second round, and Ertz was 29 years old. Well, that's where Goddard is now. So exactly. uh, they have two second-round picks there. Um the offensive line is very interesting and difficult to kind of put together here, but my lot is signed. Lane Johnson signed behind those two at tackle. I guess you're, you're hoping that Lane plays what another one or two years at least. You got my So, uh, the tackle spot interesting. The interior is weird because you don't know what's going to happen with Kelsey. And then if that, if he leaves, then that kind of changes the guard spot. And then you got to think about extending Dickerson. Yeah. And Dickerson, as we said, I mean, it, it could be both or it could just be one, either he or Devontae Smith gets resigned or extended. Um, but, yeah, so, look, Dickerson's going to be here a long time. He's not going anywhere. He's been a good story development. Lane Johnson, my understanding is he should play at least this season and t- through 25, then they'll see. Uh, and, probably, and, and, by the way, they, by structure, even if he f- is feeling great, he can't play on this deal for 27. It would have to be restructured, I'm told, by the language. But he's feeling good. He's in a good place right now off the field, you know, with all, everything he's dealt with, as we know. And Lane's doing great. My lot is signed through 25. I could see him being extended after this season, by the way. I think that certainly could be the case. But here, Fred Johnson's going to be their top. Right now with Jack Trisco and sign, Mike, Fred Johnson is their top backup tackle. That's it right now. Jack Driscoll. See, I don't, I don't see him finding a starting job, so he certainly could be back. But right now, Mike, they don't really have that guy who they know could could be the long-term backup. The swing tackle right now is Fred Johnson. And look, it's Tyler Steen. I mean, he, right now, if Jurgens is the center, which obviously would be the plan if, if Kelsey does carry through the retirement, is Tyler Steen ready to start? I don't know that, Mike. That's I, his, I'm not and what, was he, a third, was he a third-round pick last year, Steen? 
Yeah, now they drafted him. I can tell you this for a fact. They absolutely 100% drafted him to be the starter, the long-term starter inside. But he he's so new to it. As we said to start training camp, everyone was penciling Steen in. We said, nope, that Jorgens was ahead on technique. Steen was way behind. Now, I didn't think he would be that far behind, Mike. That kind of surprised me. And, uh, look, Stoutland signed off on this. This is what Stout wanted. And, I look, I, we all believe in Stout. Stout's a stud. But Steve was not ready. And I don't know that he's going to be ready this year. Well, now, I hope they don't hand it to him. I, I think that would be a mistake to hand that starting uh, right guard job to Steve. I think that, I, that they may do that. But I, I would not agree with that right now. Well, and I would say one thing that seems obvious here is that, you know, while the offense, like you see, seem like has pieces in place, uh, this thing can switch in a hurry. There's a lot of contract situations, and if yeah. Kelsey moves on, you, you've got a lot of potential changes within the next year. It does, and the future, though, for the next three to five years is Mylotta. It is Dickerson. It is Jurgens. That's 100% the case. We don't know about Steen, and then, no, and I'll throw this before we get out of here. I don't know if fans don't want to hear this. Because it's boring, I get it, and John Lane's going to play at least two more years, barring something unforeseen. But at what point with Lane's injury history do they get that guy in the first couple rounds? It doesn't have to be round one, but what if they do it in round two? Would you have a problem with it? I would not. Round one, it's a little bit early, but the Eagles are so good at looking ahead. Usually, it, I, I don't see it in, in this year because they know that Lane wants to play a little bit longer. But I could certainly see Lane's replacement in the second round. That would uh, not surprise me. Adam Kaplan, don't forget to check out the Inside the Birds podcast. They take a deep dive on the offensive roster and more. And, of course, right here on Football at Four. As we get into the offseason now, of course, we're going to take a look at more Eagles, NFL, draft, free agency. we got a ton for you here on Football at Four. So keep it locked every day, 4 o'clock, right here on the Sports Bash, plus the Inside the Birds podcast with Adam Kaplan. Thanks, Adam. Thank you. And Adam Kaplan, of course. Jeff Mosher is back on Monday. All right, everybody. Mike Gill right here with you. Team needs. Let's take a look at that. We just kind of hinted at uh, some of the things that we're going to be looking at through this offseason uh, with free agency, the draft, and all that. But what are some of the team needs that the Philadelphia Eagles have? And if you take a look at what positions, we just kind of take a look at offense here. Jalen Hurts, we know, is your starter. But they probably got to find a backup quarterback, right? Tanner McKee was the third stringer. Are you ready to go with Tanner McKee? Are the Eagles going to try to go with Tanner McKee so they don't have to put more money into the backup quarterback position? That's something to keep an eye on. So, one, backup quarterback would be something that you got to look at. Team needs number two on the offensive side of the ball. Running back. They got none on the roster. Right now, the only running back signed is Kenny Gainwell. Do they bring back DeAndre Swift? Do they say Gainwell and Boston Scott? Do they bring Boston Scott back and have Boston Scott just have a bigger role than the role that he's had in years past and just kind of try to draft a guy in the fourth or fifth round and kind of go with Gainwell and Boston Scott and maybe a rookie running back and really put no money into the running back position? I think that's something that's a possibility Specifically with all the team needs this team has on the defensive side of the ball. Team needs number three on offense. They need wide receiver help behind the two starters. DeAndre Swift and A.J. Brown are as good as they come in the NFL. But they're going to need a third receiver and probably a fourth guy as well. 
if Brown or Smith end up getting hurt, Brown did not play in the playoff game. You were ill-equipped to fill that spot. You had to go with Quez Watkins and you know, Zacchaeus just never got the opportunity to show. Do they bring Zacchaeus back or do they have to go outside the organization to try to find a number three guy and then possibly a number four guy? There are a few guys on this team that you can take a look at and say, all right, well, maybe these guys can all battle it out. Britton Covey, Joseph Ngata from Clemson, um, you know, Shaquan Davis, a couple other guys. I don't know that you're looking at any of those guys thinking, man, those guys are jumping right in and having full-time roles on this team. So that's another team need on the offensive side of the ball. All right, we got more. When you take a look at what are some of the other team needs on offense, they need depth on the offensive line. For years, they've had this great offensive line, but age is starting to get guys hurt more and possibility of Jason Kelsey moving on. If you look at Jason Kelsey... You have, if he leaves, you have Jurgens moving from guard to center. Well, then if you go to right guard, who are you playing there? Is it Tyler Steen? Do they think he's the guy? That opens up the potential of drafting a guy at number 22. You know, we talked with Andrew DeCecco, who is a draft guy, and he told us that he likes an offensive lineman at that spot for the Philadelphia Eagles. Like, if the Eagles have to take an offensive lineman at number 22 because their line is starting to fall apart, we know they value offensive line. So if you take a look at the team needs on offense, it's across the board. And don't forget tight end. Dallas Goddard, one of the best. But behind him, Jack Stoll is no longer here. He's a free agent. Now they could bring him back, and I'm sure that they can get him at a pretty good price. But I think you got to upgrade the backup tight end position. So even though he has so many holes on the defensive side of the ball, which we'll get to, let's not forget on the offensive side of the ball, yes, I have Smith. Yes, you have Brown. Yes, you have Hurts. Yes, you have this good offensive line. But if one of those guys get hurt at wide receiver, you got nothing. If one of those guys get hurt at tackle, you've got nothing. If one of those guys get hurt at guard, you don't have much. And if Jason Kelsey leaves, you have even less. At running back, you really do not have anybody at running back except for Kenny Gainwell right now. There's a lot of team needs on this side of the ball, on the offensive side of the ball for the Eagles. Now, when you talk about free agency in the draft, offensive line is a definitive spot they could go in the first round. I don't think they would go wide receiver. I don't think they would obviously go running back or tight end. But offensive line, I think, is one spot on offense they could go with pick number 22. Now let's flip it over to the defensive side of the ball and take a look at some of the team needs for this team. Obviously, this whole Reddick thing with him requesting more money, the Eagles saying go find a trade, he said I didn't ask for a trade, they're not going to sign him to an extension. This thing is going to probably extend through the offseason, possibly to training camp. Maybe they have something that happens at the draft, but doubtful. This one to me is 50-50 on whether or not he can find a new spot. If he does, one team need definitively becomes the defensive line. If they lose him as a pass rusher, they definitively have to get an upgrade at the pass rushing spot. Josh Sweat took a step back last year, and really we don't know if Nolan Smith is ready to go and play full-time snaps. So the Reddick thing 
if he goes, that becomes a high team need. If he stays, I still think they need to find kind of a third guy to be some depth for Josh Sweat, who, you know, could be taking a step back. I think Fletcher Cox, if he ends up leaving, and we talked to him at the Super Bowl, and he gave us really no indication one way or the other on whether or not he was going to stay. We flat out asked him, are you coming back? And he said, you never know. You never know what's going to happen. So he wasn't showing his hand. His poker hand wasn't getting shown in any capacity here. But let's say Fletcher Cox ends up leaving. Now I think you need to find another defensive tackle. So that turns into a team need. You've got Jordan Davis. You've got Jalen Carter and Milton Williams, who I like a lot. You've got those guys, but you need more depth because of the rotational situations. You've got to find more. Um, probably Tui Peloto is a guy they might give an opportunity to. Morrow and Jomo is here. So they do have some depth, but I think they would probably have to find a veteran player to kind of put into the mix there. So team needs on the defensive line, one extra edge rusher, probably an extra tackle into the rotation. Brandon Graham, if he comes back, I don't think that's good enough to suffice for that edge rusher spot. I think you need somebody a little younger that can give you more snaps. Probably in the way that they hoped Derek Barnett would have been able to do. They didn't use Derek Barnett in that role. But a younger guy who had some higher-end talent and can mix in there a little bit more with like a Josh Sweat and see if Nolan Smith can get more snaps. Team needs number two on defense. You got the defensive line and tackle. Both. Check. Yes, you need some more depth. Linebacker. I know Howie Roseman said Kobe Dean, but I think they've got to get a linebacker either in free agency or the draft, like a second-round pick, an impact type of linebacker. You watch the games now. The linebacker position is becoming more and more a part of it as these teams are throwing short passes, stuff over the middle. You've got to have athletic linebackers who can go from sideline to sideline and make plays. Team needs number three on the defense. you got to get a young corner. They've got to start to break into the young corner market, find someone who can pair up with Darius Slay. I think you got to keep Slay for another year because you can't replace both of those contracts. The Bradbury contract is going to be a tough pill to swallow. You either keep it and hope he can serve in a different role or just release them all together, take your losses, and try to find that young corner that you can put in there. Pick 22 could be a spot that you can upgrade there. Slot corner. I think it's time to move on from Avante Maddox. Too many injuries. Tough guy. Small, though. Throws his body around. Constantly banged up. Constantly hurt. He's a guy that you probably have to move on from. There's a couple of interesting options in the organization. The Eli Ricks, Makai Gardner, Isaiah Rogers, and some more. But I think you got to try to look for a trade here or a Sneed from Kansas City who's a uh, free agent, that type of player. If you can go out and get a high-end corner in free agency, I think that's something that you might have to do because this team has shown time and time again they have not been able to draft very well at that position. And then team need number four on defense. I think you got to find safeties, man. I don't think you can come back with Reed Blankenship as your top safety. The Kevin Byer thing, I think, you know, you can approach him about a new contract situation. He's an older guy now. I don't think you'll have a lot of um, action on the free agent market. So I think 
you can go that direction. Eddie Jackson got released by the Chicago Bears. He has ties to Vic Fangio. I actually tweeted at, um, and we had him on at the Super Bowl when we were talking last week. We um, were down there in Vegas, and one of the things you know we had talked about with um, with uh, Nick Ferguson, the former safety for the Denver Broncos. I said, what about a reunion with Vic Fangio? And he liked that one right off the bat as, as something that could possibly be um, a good fit. Nick Ferguson said, I, I'm certain that Vic Fangio will look into reuniting with Eddie Jackson, especially with how poorly the Eagles secondary tackled last season. I think Eddie Jackson's a possibility if you can get him on the prove-it one-year deal. Something that has happened over the last couple of tenures for Howie Roseman. He has found these guys on one-year deals. So that is a look at some of the team needs that I think the Eagles, pretty much at every spot on this roster, there is a team need, something that has to be filled, and something that they can improve on. There's a lot. How much can they do? We'll continue to look at it this offseason. I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bash. By the way, some breaking Phillies news. Yes, indeed, some breaking Phillies news. Do you know what it is, Josh? Nope. He shakes his head. No, it just happened. The Phillies and free agent Whit Merrifield have agreed to a one-year, $8 million contract. It's a club option for 2025. The Phillies have signed Whit Merrifield. More on that Coming up next on the Sports Bash. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. All right, 434, the breaking news. Uh, Phillies have signed Whit Merrifield, eight year, excuse me, one year, $8 million. You know, Whit Merrifield's birthday is the same day as mine. Is that a good omen? Guess so. If he was a pitcher. <laughs> Was. <laughs> if he was a pitcher, I'd feel better. No. Uh, Merrifield uh, made the All-Star game last year with Toronto, was the uh, representative for the Blue Jays. Three-time All-Star. Really had some big years um, as a super utility guy. You're talking about a guy, this guy I think fits in pretty good here. This is why. Right-handed bat, can play multiple positions in his career. He has played all over the diamond. He has played... Second base, right field, left field, center field, first base. He's even played some third base. Not a lot of third base, six games at third. But he's played mostly second base and right field. I would imagine as the right-handed bat, he would be that right-handed. I mean, you could imagine him playing left field on opening day if, um, 
you know, there's a left-handed pitcher starting now. The Phillies are playing the Braves on opening day, so you'll probably see Spencer Strider. So maybe he's not out there unless Marsh isn't ready to go. Max Freed? Possibly, but I think Strider would be the opening day starter. That being said, Whit Merrifield's a guy who's a legitimate addition to the team. You know, last year, 145 games, 272, 11 homers, 67 RBIs, 26 stolen bases. The one thing... He doesn't strike out a lot. He's not a big strikeout guy. Uh, he only struck out a hundred times last year. The year before that, he only struck out, you know, the most times he's ever struck out in his career. You're going back to we played 162 games in Kansas City. He struck out 126 times. And those were some of his best years. I mean, he had some big, big years for the, he made his name as a utility guy with Kansas City. So that's kind of where he, you know, came onto the scene as this like super utility guy with the Royals. He even finished top 20 in the MVP race one year. He had 45 steals, 190. He led the league in hits in two, uh, two times, back to back seasons. He led the league in hits. So this is a higher, contact guy, but I will say one thing, not a big on-base percentage guy. Last year, um, 318, 323, 290, 290. He doesn't walk a whole heck of a lot, is my point. So, um, Whit Merrifield, I know you had been a guy who'd been kind of pushing for him. I like the signing. I, I would have preferred if they would have gone the Bellinger route and got a star type of power guy. But this is a completely different dynamic. This is your super utility, bounce around the horn, do all, uh, do a bunch of different thing type of players. Yeah, I love it for a couple of reasons. One, you know, you mentioned about him playing left field. He could also play second base. Who plays second base for this team? Bryce and Stott. And there were times last year that they didn't play Stott versus lefties. Well, now Merrifield can be an upgrade over anybody basically on this team sliding in at second base. I also like the fact that he's a veteran, experienced guy. He's not somebody who, you know, is so young and has to prove himself. Well, the other question is, though, is he too old? Are you working into a guy who's now at the back end of his career and you're starting to get the guy slowing down? But that's okay if you're not playing him 162 games or 140, whatever the number would be. Like, if you're saying, we're paying you, what is it, $8 million, right? We're paying you $8 million to play 100 games. I think that's more than reasonable. Ah, uh, see, I think he's going to play more than that. He's going to play more than that. Yeah, I mean, look, I think you're going to see him play probably a hundred games in the outfield, and then I think he's going to be the guy who plays when Stott needs a day off at second base. Probably he's the guy that plays third base. I don't know. Does he turn into um, uh, Castro? I'm uh, not Castro. Uh, who's the other guy that plays third base? Uh. So third. far removed from the Phillies, uh, they're, they're <laughs> the utility guy that plays third base for them. Oh, um, they got it from the Cardinals. Yeah, and I'm completely drawing a blank on the name too. Dag Nabbit, let me pull it up. Don't say Dag Nabbit on my air, please. We talked about this the other day. <laughs> that is that is not a term that is going to be passed uh, from two to six. You could use that at six o'clock at night all you want. No Dag Nabbit on this uh, on this program. Thank you for for trying to slip that in, and I caught it. But uh, what is his name? Man, what what is um who is the third baseman? Sosa. Sosa, yeah, Edmundo Sosa. See, I'm a little removed from the Phillies that uh random utility third baseman has has slipped. But look, Merrifield has played a lot of third base. So Sosa is probably the guy that would still get those. He's played mostly second, but here's another thing. He's played left center and right field. So he can play all three, mostly right field. 
which is interesting because Castellanos is your everyday right fielder and has generally done a pretty decent job since he's kind of focused and settled into just playing right field. You need help mostly as the left field spot. But I wonder, I wonder if Rojas has a bad spring, do they put Marsh in center and or Merrifield and kind of say, hey, we're going to need you until we can get Rojas back up to speed down at AAA. I, I personally think Rojas is probably going to make the team now out of spring training. But this definitely adds another layer. But I definitely think, let's see, last year he played 145 games. Um, In 2022, he played 139 games. He played 162 and one, yeah, I mean, he has essentially played 140, 50 games pretty much his entire career. I mean, he, he has been an everyday super utility. He, Whit Merrifield has kind of set the, the, him and Ben Zobris were like, I was going to say, two, he's, he's very Ben Zobristy. Yeah. They were like the two super utility type of players that have just kind of, Hey, I'll play left one day. I'll play second the next day. And Ben Zobra showed that you can win with that kind of guy, I too. I think one of the things, though, with, with Merrifield, the problem I think that was holding off was I think he wanted to play second base um, mostly. I think he wanted to kind of get out of that uh, that utility that role. super utility stuff. But maybe teams only kind of viewed him. But he has split mostly time between second and the outfield. Um 272, 26 steals, 145 games for the Blue Jays last year. Pretty good OPS, but not a great on-base percentage guy. I definitely think it's a good deal for them. I think it's a guy that could help them out, and he's better than Jake Cave. Yep. He's better than Castro, who I – why didn't I remember Castro but not Sosa? Sosa's been here longer. Maybe you're just thinking of who's not good. Because at least you know Sosa is better than Castro. Maybe you subconsciously. Castro just... is the guy they traded for from Pittsburgh last year at the deadline and basically didn't play. Belly falter. But he's better than Cave as your fourth outfielder. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, I mean, Sosa is interesting because he plays third and when Bohm goes to first. But I don't know how much Bohm's going to go to first this year with Harper's playing there every single day. Yeah. I mean, I'm assuming that I guess Sosa could be the third shortstop guy. Whit Merrifield's the second base outfield guy. You get Jake Cave off the roster, you know, thank the Lord for that. And then um, you're basically then looking at Rojas and Pache, one of the other outfield spots, right? Yeah, I think and I like I think they like Pache. Uh, uh, I think they like him. Um, the Rojas thing is the interesting one. They said before, we're not just going to hand him the job. But they also are not going to have Brandon Marsh for a month. Well, Marsh is down there walking around saying that he thinks he's going to be ready for opening day. But is he going to be 100% and ready to go and right. playing every day? I think that's something that you have to keep in mind. So I actually think um, they We're going to see feel, a lot of Rojas and Pache in the spring well, training. Well, I mean, does Merrifield now bump Pache? Out? Let, let's say opening day comes and there's a left. Now, Spencer Strider's pitching, so you're going to get – you would have Marsh. But let's say Marsh isn't ready. Is Whit Merrifield, who's a veteran player, the right-handed bat that they feel better with? Problem. Maybe. Or if Rojas does play well, is is your lineup opening day potentially, and I'm only saying this because uh, if you know if Marsh might not be 100% ready opening day, but your outfield might be Merrifield, Rojas, 
Castellanos and Schwarber at DH. Yeah, well, I think if you like, if you were to say, "Hey, did you envision Whit Merrifield being in the opening day lineup?" I would say absolutely, like no question about it. Like if, um, if Marsh isn't ready, I can definitely see him starting and playing left field in game number one. Now you said a hundred games. I mean, I think there's. He definitely plays probably about 130. I don't know that he's playing as much as he did last year because I think if Marsh is back, Marsh gets the at-bats against the right-handed pitchers, and then Merrifield gets the at-bats against the left-handed pitchers. But I also think they want to find – I would also think they want to find more time for him, and I think that would mean Stott maybe doesn't play against left-handed pitching as much, which might disappoint some people. But now you got Whit Merrifield, and you're saying we don't need Bryson Stott to hit against lefties every day, right? And maybe it's not a literal you never play against lefties, but maybe they just pick and choose situations with like, look, this guy's really yeah, tough, tougher lefties. Yeah, you yeah. know, the, your Max Freeds and guys like that. Yeah, the tougher lefties, you might say to Stott, hey, you know, we're we're going to sit you today, um, but just against you know the the tough tough lefties, so that gives you a much better option. In, in that spot as well with all the left-handed bats that you have in your lineup. By the way, Scott Lauber is reporting that uh, the Merrifield deal most certainly vaults the Phillies over the second tier of the luxury tax threshold, increasing the club's record payroll. So, you know, it gets back to the Phillies are not afraid to spend. This is a team that they're they're pretty serious about trying to make this thing work and win. Yep, and uh, I'm I'm interested to see. And I would imagine because we opened up the show today saying, "Hey, if there was a free agent that was available, Snell, Montgomery, Bellinger, if you can get one of them, which one would it be?" Well, they went with option D here and went with Whit Merrifield, which was a name that some people sent us too. Um, but Whit Merrifield has signed with the Phillies one year, eight million dollars, and then the club option. For next year as well. So this is a guy that um, very versatile, second base, uh, outfield, probably going to be, I want to say, a quasi-everyday player. I, I, my guess would be about 130 games uh, between second, all three outfield positions, and probably could even do a little bit of third base and, and you know, some other stops. So uh, interesting signing for the day for the Phils as they, uh, hey, get ready to start their thoughts for full squad workouts. This is the Sports Bash Live. A little breaking news for you there. Holy moly, it's been a busy day here on a Friday edition of the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. It's the spin your passion into a business of Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Mike Gill. Do I have everybody's attention now? On 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. All right, so if you just heard the news, uh, the Phillies have signed Whit Merrifield, the uh, all-star second base. I say all-star second base, we made the all-star game 2023 last year with the Toronto Blue Jays. I look, I look at it as a flexible option, as a backup to, I want to say backup, because Whit Merrifield's not a backup player. He is definitely a starting player, but he's just been a super utility guy. In fact, one of the reports early was, this was back in December. John Morosi reported that 
Merrifield indicated that he wanted to sign as a starting second baseman this winter. So he didn't want to kind of be that super utility guy. He might have thought he could have got more money as just a starting second baseman as opposed to being the super utility guy. Um, and then the Philly sign him. I look at him as a flexible option to a guy like Bryson Stott at second base, Brandon Marsh in left field, and then he can give guys days off. You know, you don't have to play Nick Castellanos as much now. Hey, Whit Merrifield can play right field today, Nick. You only have to play 130 games. You don't have to play 150-some games, and then by the time the playoffs get here, you're kind of worn down late, late, late in the season because you've got – you know what I'm saying? So he just adds a a legitimate major leaguer where last year – they didn't have a legitimate major leaguer playing Jake Cave, um, Castro. Those guys are, are, are 4A players, let's be honest. Whit Merrifield's been a multiple-time All-Star. So that definitely changes the dynamics of the depth. Now, does that make them pass the Atlanta Braves? Not necessarily. But guess what? Didn't matter last year because beat the, the Rays in the postseason two straight years. You did, but I mean, come on, how many times? I'm not going to fall into this trap that well, we beat them twice in the playoffs. We'll just beat them the third time if we keep finishing in second. At one of these times, you're going to have to beat them in the regular season. You can't keep taking the same path to get to where you want to go because you keep failing. Well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I mean, this is this is the path to success. Let the Braves keep. Winning in the regular season and failing in the postseason. Yeah, you take that route. I'll take the other one. I, I want to beat the Braves finally and not have to play in that first round because obviously the Phillies keep running out of gas because they have to play that extra round. And if we keep thinking that you're going to keep doing this, you're going to finish in second and the Braves are just going to keep losing every time, I think you're kidding yourself. Eventually, the Braves are going to beat you in one of these series when you match up with them in the division series. So you have to evolve or perish. That is the term, right? If you uh, evolve or die is the uh, um, Cosmo Kramer, you know? Yeah. You have to – you can't just keep saying, well, we just keep finishing in second and and it works, so we'll just keep doing it. That's just not a way to to enter a season. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm not saying you should – that should be your goal. I'm just saying that, you know, you've you've already shown – you've. You've already shown that, you know, you cannot be at a hundred plus win team in the regular season year in and year out and have some postseason success. Now, I don't know if Whit Merrifield's going to change that necessarily, or maybe when he be Whit Merrifield, maybe the fact that your team will just be healthier this year going into the year. Remember last year, you know, no Bryce Harper to start the year, no Ranger Suarez to start the year. So maybe that could be a factor as well. Yeah, well, I thought Dave Dombrowski said something about that. He said Suarez and others, uh, Schwarber, Real Muto, Turner, um, World Baseball have Harper. They were all at the World Baseball Classic last year, and he said he didn't think they got enough at-bats during the spring to start the season. Right. And a lot of those guys got off the slow starts because, you know, you look at what Turner did in the World Baseball Classic. He was unbelievable. Right. And then he got off to a terrible start here. Well, maybe he gets more spring at-bats and gets off. To, who knows? But I don't think you can argue that Merrifield adds depth to the roster, which Major. is very left-handed heavy and could be a solid option behind Bryson Start at second base, Brandon Marsh in left field, give Castellanos more time off. And you have a guy who's a legit major leaguer who's made, been in the All-Star game three times as opposed to playing J.K., Rodolfo uh, Castro, and guys like that. When we come back, our Phillies insider Frank Close is going to give us his thoughts on the move. He joins us next 
here on the Sports Bass Live on 97.3 ESPN. Philly's content is brought to you by Clark's Moving and Storage in Rio Grande. Visit them at clarksmoving.net. I'm Mike Gill. This is the Sports Bass Live on 97.3 ESPN. Don't forget, Flyers tomorrow night in the stadium series against the Jersey Devils. You can hear that game live from MetLife Stadium at 8 o'clock on 97.3 ESPN. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now live, here's Mike Gill. All right, final hour of the show. Some Phillies news to start you off with. Merrifield, the uh, all-star utility man with the Toronto Blue Jays. Most of you guys will remember him with the Royals. Uh, he is coming to Philadelphia. One-year deal, club option. How does he fit in with the Phillies? We'll bring in our Phillies insider, Frank Close, for the first time for the 2024 season. And he is here on the Sports Bass Live on 97.3 ESPN. And, Frank, uh, I don't know, this kind of came out of right field here, no pun intended, because he probably could play some right field. But Whit Merrifield, uh, obviously, his name has been kind of whispered, but nothing concrete. They get the deal done today. One-year, $8 million deal. How does Whit Merrifield fit in with the Phils? I think he's a really nice fit. You know, I thought that the Phillies were going to add somebody in fact, Jeff Mosher and I just recorded a podcast a couple of days ago, and I said, you know, with all these names out there, there's probably somebody that's going to end up with the Phillies. And when we spoke about Whit Merrifield, I thought that maybe he would be a little bit too expensive for what they were looking for, because I've, I heard Whit Merrifield do a national interview a couple months ago, and he was saying, oh, I know my worth, I know my worth. So I thought he might have been looking for a little bit more than this. Uh, his past performance might have suggested he was worth more than this, but the Phillies were kind of shrewd. They kind of hung out there knowing there were plenty of right-handed bats available. I think the Phillies clearly needed one. You saw that weakness in the playoffs. be nice to have somebody you can put in left field, and you know, if you ever need a day off for Bryson Stott at second base, maybe you do it against a tough lefty, and then Merrifield can jump to second base. So he's a really nice addition. He he last year basically was pretty even between second base and, and left field for the Blue Jays. So a lot of versatility with him. Uh, he's a contact bat. He has a little bit of speed. So I think overall he's a nice player. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack on this one here because I think when I was reading John Morosi's article about him off in the offseason, he wanted to be a starting second baseman. It sounds like he's kind of over this super utility role, but obviously that's not going to happen here in Philadelphia. Um, does he get most of his games in left field? Does he platoon with Brandon Marsh? Is he bouncing all over the place? What, how do you envision his role here? I think to start the season, he's probably your starting left fielder. I think the Phillies would really like to give Johan Rojas some more time at AAA to, to hit a little bit more and get that bat perhaps a little bit more major league ready. Uh, while he did look really good last year throughout the Phillies regular season, in the postseason he trailed off a little bit. So I think the Phillies would love to see Rojas have some time there. Uh, and, you know, you need the depth too. Like Brandon Marsh just had surgery for which should be relatively minor and he should be ready by opening day, but it gives you another option. So, you know, the Phillies did not have a lot of depth. I don't think you want to overplay Jake Cave like they, they did at times last year. I, I think Merrifield's somebody that could play against lefties and righties and, and probably will play a lot of left field. Yeah, I mean, the left field spot seems to be the one that's, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say up for grabs because we think Marsh will be there. But what does that mean for a guy like Christian Pache then uh, moving forward? 
You know, Pache is kind of redundant at this point. I mean, he's, he's sort of a version of Rojas that might actually be a little bit worse. So at this point in his career, I, you know, I think he was a nice, nice player to grab when the Phillies grabbed him. But since Rojas has emerged and you have other players, I think he doesn't really fit that well on this Phillies roster. I wouldn't be shocked if the Phillies uh, either release him, trade him, something along the way. But, I mean, you don't want to do that till maybe later in spring trading till you know if Marsh is healthy or not. So so I think Pache for now is kind of insurance for, for Marsh recovering from that minor surgery. And, you know, he might just not be a fit long term. Uh, Whit Merrifield signs with the Phillies. 272, 11 homers, 67 RBI, 26 stolen bases. Made the All-Star game last year uh, with the Toronto Blue Jays. He's a three-time All-Star, made it last year. So is this a guy that you think still has, you know, he's 35, but does he have still, you know, enough in the tank? Do you see him as an everyday player? He has been essentially an everyday player. I think he's a most of the time player. I, I could see him getting some days off if you, and I guess it depends how the roster plays out. I mean, the Phillies brought a lot of the same guys back. I mean, they did re-sign Jake Cave, uh, kind of maybe as a left-handed bat in the <laughs> in the outfield. I would imagine Cave might play if he's on the roster. He might play some in left field, but I could see him playing playing a lot. And, you know, one one neat thing about about Merrifield we saw last year was. He was, he started, I think it was, I think the splits were like 67 games at, at second base and maybe like 65 and left. And 20 of those games of each of those starts, he ended up switching to the other position mid game. So, yeah. so I, I could see him either switching out, switching in, starting a game at one position, moving to the other. You know, for, for example, if he does fill in for Bryson Stott on a day, gets a tough lefty late in the game. If, if Stott is, uh, Coming in to face a righty, well, then maybe he bumps up to left field. So I, I think he's, I think he's, he's somebody who's going to play a lot because of the fact you can plug him in the infield or the outfield very yeah. capably in both ways. One of the things I like you said was, you know, hey, you got a tough lefty today. You don't need to play Bryson Stott nearly as much against those guys. I know some people, you know, some people want to get to the point though where your better players play every single day and, and you know hey you want to envision Bryson Stott as that guy who doesn't need to sit but it gives him the option to sit there and also I think gets Castellanos doesn't have to play nearly as much because he can play some right field too it's like you can only you don't only have to play Castellanos maybe 140 games or so you don't have to play him every single day where he starts to wear down a bit so it helps Give guys some more time uh, off because you have more capable players. How many times, you know, the Phillies put a lineup out and you see Cave in it. You're like, I don't need to see Jake Cave in the lineup today. <laughs> well, you don't have to do that as much now if you have a guy like this that can play left one day, right the other. You can give off someone a day off on Monday and then give somebody different a day off on Tuesday with by using the same player. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this this does confirm what would probably should be obvious to a lot of people and that's Kyle Schwarber is probably just a designated hitter and nothing else. I think I think maybe you're going to see the end of him playing some left field. You know, last year he ended up playing it a bunch. I think they would like to stay away from that now going forward. So I mean, barring some other inju- injury that requires another uh acquisition of some sort, I think this means you're also going to see Kyle Schwarber locked into that designated hitter spot every day. There's no question about that. So uh, Whit Merrifield is in, and, and he's a different type of player. That, as you kind of said, he's a contact guy. Not a lot of strikeouts. Not, but doesn't walk a lot. Not a high on base percentage player. He's a guy though that a lot of hits. Led the American League in hits two times. So you're getting a contact type of player. So I guess my question leads into. 
Where would a guy like this hit in their lineup? And is this the year that we see the Phillies do something different? Like, hey, this group has gotten to the to the playoffs. They got to a World Series. But we might have to shake the lineup up if we have the same lineup. Here's my guess. I think this season's going to start off with Kyle Schwarber batting leadoff, Trey Turner batting second. And I think because that was kind of where they hit their stride later in the season last year, I could see Whit Merrifield maybe moving up to one or two later if there's a need to do so. Uh, I get the impression that Rob Thompson's sort of still the tried and true kind of guy, and uh, the Phillies had success with that, so I don't think he's going to tinker with that too much. You know, it depends a lot, I guess, on, on Castellanos. If Castellanos is hitting, you know, you might see him move, move up a little bit further. But, you know, when you consider all the other players in this lineup, I mean, it's probably batting eighth or ninth where you're going to see Merrifield now. Uh, like you saw Rojas sort of hit at the end last year. Brandon Marsh hit towards the end. I mean, if, they, if those are your eight, nine hitters, it's probably a pretty good team. So I, I would expect that the lineup looks a lot like previous years. After all, the Phillies did really commit to mostly the same roster. But I, I could see that changing as time goes on. If, if somebody is struggling and you start to see someone like Murfield uh, hitting very, very well. But but that's a really nice lineup to have. By the way, this just in as well, Alec Bohm won his arbitration case against the Phillies. So he will make $4 million this year as opposed to what the Phillies offered, $3.4 million. And I only think that's significant when you sign Merrifield. That puts them above the thresholds now. So uh, they're they're investing in this team. I guess, Frank, the question is, adding Merrifield and coming back with the same group, I mean, where do we feel this team is now in the pecking order of the National League? Well, you know, I was looking at a national power rankings the other day. The Phillies were actually third, which is, which is surprising. You know, I, I think that nationally they say, okay, well, you know, the Phillies compared to last year, they have a healthy Bryce Harper coming into the season. And he's in the field, which doesn't mean that Kyle Schwarber has to play in the field. Ranger Suarez is is healthy coming into the season. Now, now of course, all this can change if, if there's a spring training injury. You really hope there isn't. But, you know, the Phillies, the Phillies finished pretty strong last year, and they're coming back with mostly the same team. So so I, I do see them as, as behind the Braves probably still. But, uh, you know, I think they're well positioned to, to be a playoff team again. And I, I guess the question will be, for those that are getting a little bit older, is there going to be much of a trail off uh, that, that can't be made up for with some of the young guys? But, you know, I think that the Phillies made a lot of strides last year with Bryson Stott sort of coming into his own, Alec Boehm coming into his own. And uh, it's it's kind of hard to say that this team is going to be worse than they were last year. And, of course, Again, they started the season without Ranger Suarez, without without Bryce Harper. So you got to feel good about where the Phillies are heading into this year. Of uh, any of the signings that are kind of under the radar, maybe guys no one's heard of, these bullpen arms that bounce around from team to team, have any of them uh, stood out to you? No. <laughs> <laughs> not, not really, to be very honest. Uh, but then again, I mean, outside Josh Hader, there really wasn't, a relief arm that it really felt like the Phillies had to have. Uh, you know, I thought maybe Hector Neris would have been a nice arm to grab. Maybe, you know, to sort of be a seventh inning guy as insurance. Uh, you know, I think they're going to count on really a lot, of, a lot of the bullpen. names that are coming back. That, that Houston bullpen with Hader and Presley is pretty impressive. 
Yes, it's going to be really good. And, and Presley is not going to be the closer, although he was the closer very successfully. That's, that's a pretty nice, uh, back of the bullpen for, for the Astros. So, uh, but in terms of the Phillies, I, th- I think they, at least to start the season, they really want to kind of just feel out a, a few of the question marks, uh, knowing that they can add later. If you, if you look at someone like Connor Brogdon, remember him? Uh, you know, who was, who looked really, really good for stretches two years ago and last year fell off the face of the earth. He's still around. Dylan Covey's still around. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, the big question I think is going to be the two right-handed power arms that they have in Sir Anthony Dominguez and Orion Kirkering. Are they both going to kind of take form? And, and let's face it, the Phillies are pretty strong from the left side with Jose Alvarado, Matt Strom, Gregory Soto's back. And so you've got some really nice back-end arms. And if those two kind of hit their stride, and Jeff Hoffman's back, if he's what he was last year, this bullpen can come together really quickly. So I think the Phillies wanted to kind of see where Sir Anthony Dominguez is, where Orion Kirkering is, before they go and make any major expenditures trying to, to make up for last year when, of course, Sir Anthony didn't really play so hot last year. Uh, a couple questions now for Frank Close, our Phillies insider, is uh, the weekend. The full squad workouts will get underway here for the Phillies. Frank, we are having this conversation. It's October. Who led the Phillies in saves? Oh, boy. I'm going to be optimistic and say Sir Anthony Dominguez. You know, uh, if he's healthy this year, he was he was so good two years ago. And, you know, the, the reason they made it to the World Series in 2022 what was indeed Harper uh, playing with the injury, but also the back end of that bullpen, you know, with Dominguez and Alvarado tag-teaming to, to just, you know, dominate the last couple innings. So uh, I'm going to take the optimistic approach that Sir Anthony Dominguez is going to be back to form and will be a big part of that Phillies bullpen. All right. Um, that That's going to be an interesting one because they do have some options, as you kind of just laid out a couple of guys. You've got uh, – you know, you, you've got Kirkering as an option there. He's kind of the guy that I think is – I think the answer to the question is going to be Kirkering. I know a lot of people think that's out there, but I'll ask you, do you think there's a guy that they want to win this job? Is it Dominguez that they they hope, like, reestablishes himself there? Or do they go down there right now saying somebody win it? I think it's saying somebody win it. I think I think that would be the fair approach. And, you know, there's still – there's still time for, for like I said, the likes of Brogdon to, to make an impact, too. I don't think Brogdon will be a closer. But, you know, I, I think that it's, it's kind of hard to predict what Kirkering will be at this point. I think they're, they're, gonna, they're not even saying that he'll make the team at this point. So um, he, he's going to have to work for it. And, I'd be pretty you know, think, shocked there. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I think with, with Dominguez, though, like the reason they didn't make another acquisition at the trade deadline is they were count, kind of counting on him coming back to form and he never really did. So hopefully the offseason and, and rest is going to give him that opportunity. Yeah. But yeah, Kirkering could, Kirkering could basically write his ticket depending on how he pitches in, in the spring. I, you know, I could also see it being where he's not on the team when the, when the season opens. So. Uh, a lot of this is going to play out. Yeah, and listen, I know I'm higher on Kirkering than a lot of people are, so no, don't uh, take that with what it's worth. But I just think with his stuff, getting a full spring training and then the full regular season to kind of use them the way they want to, I think that's the guy who they say, look, this guy's stuff better than anybody else we got. You start him as the closer in non-high-profile games, like last year they throw him into those high-profile playoff slots and he kind of faltered. But getting a save in April, 
if he could show that he can handle that as the season goes on, that's where I think they look at who gives us the highest ceiling. And I think the answer would be Kirkering. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, I think he's got a lot of potential. All right, a uh, couple other questions uh, for Frank. Uh, will Rojas be the starting center fielder on opening day? No. Wow. I, I, I think no, I, definitively. I, no, I think I think adding Merrifield kind of ends that. Uh, you know, I think the Phillies have said basically that they want him to have those at bats in the minor leagues. I think having Merrifield now gives you the luxury to do just that. So Rojas starts at Triple A, or is he uh, the 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 extra outfielder? I think it would start a triple A rather than being a bench piece. I, you know, I, I would rather see him play every day, work, work on his hitting. And, and, you know, the Phillies have a lot of bench, bench pieces that are perhaps too many. You know, those infield bench type pieces. Uh, Wes Wilson is back. Derek Hall is still around. <laughs> um, I don't know where he fits exactly, uh, given the makeup of this team. Uh, Cody Clemens is still around. Uh, Rodolfo Castro, they acquired at the deadline last year. I think they've got a lot of bench pieces. And, of course, uh, Wes, Wes Wilson can play some outfield, too. So I, I think they would rather have a, a true major league backup be the backup than than make Rojas just sit on the bench. So I, I, I see him kind of tagged for AAA at this point. Um, batting lineup, I know we talked a little bit at the top, but Bohm, who just won his arbitration case, by the way, he finished the year in the four-hole. Last year, Castellanos hit in the middle of the order most of the season. When we start the season, is Bohm back in the four or is Castellanos back in the middle or some other configuration? I think Castellanos will be there to start. You know, I, I think what you'll see is Rob Thompson will defer to the veterans first. And if they're not getting the job done, then maybe you make some changes. Now, now the thing about a, a long season, there, there'll be lots, lots of mixing and matching and days off along the way. So I'm, I'm sure Boehm will get opportunities to hit higher in the lineup. But I, I think to start the season, your opening day lineup, you'll probably see Castellanos were, there. Were you surprised Bohm won? I mean, it was four million versus three point four, but were you surprised he won that? Not really, actually, because uh, MLB trade rumors. You know, uh, Matt Swartz always does his projections, and he actually projected Bohm to earn four point three million dollars. So <laughs> they were kind of fighting over over a difference of where they both came in below that number. So I'm not really surprised. Uh, that the Phillies lost. And by the way, Phillies rarely have lost arbitration in, in the history of their, of their franchise. Gotta be, gotta be able to count it on one hand. That doesn't happen a whole lot with the Phillies. Yeah. Well, uh, Bal Balak Boehm last year, 274, knocked in 97 runs. So if they can get a little bit more out of him too, that would be big because obviously people have been kind of waiting for his power number to go up. Last year he hit 20 homers. Can Bohm be a 25 to 28 homer type of guy this year? That's going to be a big one uh, to see if he can, you know, because they're going to need some guys to take that jump to the next level. I mean, last year they got it from Stott and Bohm, but now you need some, you know, others possibly Stott and Bohm to take another jump this year. Yeah, I always thought that the that the power and the home runs they all come from Boehm over time. You know, he he makes too much contact for it not to happen. So, you know, I think with a lot of guys, you just you, you get the contact going, and then that happens naturally. So, I would not be shocked if you saw a little bit more power out of Boehm. Um, uh, Stott, I don't I don't know how much more is on his ceiling in terms of power. 
you know, of course, he had that big postseason home run that everybody would remember. But uh, he's got a little pop to him. So uh, same kind of thing there. You make you make the contact. Uh, you know, that ball just might go over the fence. Yeah. All right. Uh, there you go. Uh, Frank Close, our Phillies insider, is back for another season. Frank, when will you be in Clearwater? I'll be flying down uh, 29th of February. So eager eager to get down there, Mike. I'm ready for, with this latest winter storm. I'm ready for some uh, Florida sun. All right. 29th of February. Phillies will be starting spring training games. What, on the 26th? 24th. 24th. Okay. 24th. So uh, they'll be right smack in the middle of the first week of spring training. And uh, we'll have reports from Frank down there as uh, Philly spring training is almost underway. The games begin a week from tomorrow. And we'll have, of course, updates all throughout the spring on the Phillies on 97.3 ESPN. Frank Close, everybody. Thank you, Frank. Good to see you back here, buddy. Thank you, Mike. Good to see you, too. All right. Don't forget, at Frank Close, his mailbag will be back for another season. And we'll have plenty of fills with Frank Close all season long here on the Sports Bash. I'm Mike Hill. This is the Sports Bash. There's the big news today. Late in the day, Philly signed Whit Merrifield to a one-year deal. When we come back, it's the big three. Stick around. We have the... For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Traffic. You come with me. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Flyers it's hard fans. to even put into words how dominant she is in the sport. For me personally, she's probably top five most entertaining basketball player I've ever watched, NBA included. And I've got some that are just like iconic to me that changed the course of my life. Larry Bird being probably at the top of that list. I put Caitlin Clark in that category with a Steph Curry for me, a Caitlin Clark. I could watch her play every single night. That's Tim Legler, who I think might not be a Flyers fan, but the button's orange that you played that off of. Flyers fans, get your game on. Game day ritual with the ultimate power duo, the Flyers and Union Forge Vodka. Cheer on the Flyers with the best tasting vodka produced right here in Philly. Grab a Union Forge bottle today. Caitlin Clark breaks the record last night. But she Mike- is the all-time leading scorer in NCAA women's basketball history. But, Mike, it's more than that. She has the chance now to break the all-time Pete Maravich scoring record. She so for does. Those who don't know, Caitlin Clark passed Kelsey Plum. Now, Kelsey Plum had 3,527 points. Clark now is 3,569. Pete Maravich, whose record has stood for 40, 50 years now, his record was 3,667. According to ESPN Plus metrics, if Caitlin Clark continues to average 32.7 points per game for the rest of the season, she could get that record on Iowa's senior day against Ohio State on March 2nd. Listen, um, this girl has put women's basketball in another stratosphere. The ratings have been unbelievable. They're getting network television games. It is the biggest women's sports story potentially of all time. Oh, 100% it is. 
Um, she finished with 49 points and 13 assists. Think about that. She scored 49. She dished out 13 assists. She made nine three-pointers. I, at no point in my life have I ever thought about, hey, could a woman, a, a women's basketball star make it in the men's game? Now, Seth, uh, Steph Curry's going to be in the three-point. It's like a one-on-one versus... Sabrina Inescu. Uh, the, one of the, yeah, WNBA. And you're thinking like, okay, has a team ever thought in the world that we live in today to just bring in, like, if she's that good of a shooter, could someone just sit on the perimeter, catch and shoot and drain threes? Now, I'm not sure that it could actually happen, but Caitlin Clark at least makes you think that it could. She is that good. She assisted or scored on 79 points on Thursday. And, you know, you're watching something that makes you say, I could watch this every night. Like, I could literally watch this girl play every single night. And by the way, they're putting her games on Peacock to try to get people to go to Peacock because people are going to Peacock. They are downloading the app and and and, and um, subscribing to watch her play. Her games, to put it in perspective out there, her games, the Iowa Hawkeyes, which is middle America, Iowa, there's nothing going on there. And they are getting better ratings than NBA games. The Iowa Hawkeye women's basketball games are getting better ratings than NBA regular season games. That is something that you never thought you would hear in your lifetime. And there's one more layer to this I wanted to bring up to you, Mike, and that is they were chanting last night after the game, one more year. (laughs) She is eligible to return for one more year. It's a big question. Like... This is the, I was listening to a podcast about this. Like the number one pick in the in, in the WNBA draft is the Indiana Fever. Right. See, you didn't think I had this uh, depth of. I like that. Yeah. I like right? that you uh, you actually uh, know what I'm talking about here. The Indiana Fever have the number one pick. And by the way, for the people out there, I had no idea that this question was being asked to me. <laughs> is it? Can you verify that? I can verify. I had that. no clue you were asking me about Caitlin Clark. The Indiana Fever have the number one pick in the WNBA. WNBA. I guess the question is, is she better served and getting better publicity and exposure playing in college or leaving to go to the WNBA where she will essentially get lost in the sauce, you would think? Well, no. Or is she good enough that the WNBA's profile would go up a notch and that she would get – because right now she's going to get more exposure playing for Iowa. Can I say both? And here's why. She – anywhere she goes, like if she transferred to a new school, she goes to WNBA, she is going to elevate the profile of anything she touches. She is must-watch television at this point because of how she plays, her killer instinct, the whole nine yards. But there's a chance if she stays in college, she'll make way more money. You see her on the State Farm commercials right now. She could be the biggest money-making women's athlete on the planet. You know, for the longest time, in, in the birth of NIL, the majority of the women's athletes who were making money weren't the women's athletes who were the best talent. Yeah, They were the prettiest girls with the Instagrams and everything. Now, Caitlin Clark is starting to show that you can be a dynamic athlete and make money. So if she stayed in college, she could break 
some NIL numbers that we've never seen before. Yeah, that's something that is new to the game as well, is that you could stay in college and probably make more money, not probably, definitively make more money than you would in the WNBA. So I think you say one more year, and you wonder why women don't come out as much as the men do because of the money situation, especially now. The money wasn't there in the WNBA. It's not there to just leave. So most of the women stay. They don't leave early. She's got a legitimate... uh, um, argument to say I've accomplished everything I need to accomplish at the college game. There's no reason for me to come back, but she has another year to go. She could push that number up significantly as the all-time leading scorer. I think she's going to come back. You think so? I do. Now, let me ask you this really quick. Do you think she comes back? Especially if they do not win the title. Okay, so that's Because they're not the best team. That's a good point. The other side of it is... Is it also because it's the Indiana Fever that hold the pick? Maybe if it was well, that another, I, I, I got to be honest, I do market. not have enough. Well, Indiana's a great basketball state. You but it's would, not a big market. I get that. I, I don't know enough about the WNBA markets of who's got what fan bases and teams. Indiana's like, a very new team. Right, but Indiana, new team. I would think Indiana basketball, that that would be a great spot to kind of market her in. Well, but for, it's not a great market. No, it's not a great market. Like, for example, you know, one of the reasons why uh, Brianna Stewart left Seattle was because she wanted the opportunities to do more commercials and Here's stuff because pro- okay. she's in New York. Brianna Stewart, who I do who she is, I have no idea what team. Kelsey Plum, I definitively remember her at Washington. I have no idea what team she's she on. She plays for Vegas. All right, she plays for Vegas. I had no clue. Like, so I'm not sure. That, see, the WNBA does not – I have no idea. And by the way, ESPN has given the WNBA a little bit more of a higher profile. I still have no idea what team Kelsey Plum's on. And I definitively remember – so my point is her playing at the University of Washington was a much higher profile to me – than playing for the WNBA Las Vegas. So for someone like you, if Caitlin Clark came to the WNBA, that's going to bring someone like you to the table. I don't know. If it's a Thursday night, the Phillies aren't playing in August, and you know Caitlin Clark's going to be on TV, are you flipping it on? It depends. Is her game going to just... Is she going to be definitively this unbelievable scoring player at that level, or... Is her game going to kind of get, you know, diminished a little bit? Well, you mentioned Kelsey Plum. Kelsey Plum is one of the 10 best women in the WNBA right now. Okay. So now while she's not the best player in the WNBA, so her game is not completely translated to be the best player, she has shown that the scoring ability that she had in college did not get, you know, negated, didn't get neutralized in the WNBA. Because one of the problems with WNBA is for those who don't watch the game – Historically, the WNBA has been dominated by the women who are the taller women. Because the taller women, you know, the, the Brianna Stewart's, the Candace Parkers, back in the day, Lisa Leslie, all these women, they're, they're so tall and they're so athletic. And the, the, the women who are not as tall sometimes get forgotten about. Now, in recent years, you had women like Skylar Diggins come along and others, Maya Moore, who, because they're smaller guards, they've kind of expanded the game a little bit. And that's where Kelsey Plum came in, was able to make that transition. It'll be interesting to see. You know, obviously, I think many people listening in the audience know who Caitlin Clark is. I think we are at that point. And I think maybe the audience are a little confused why I know so much about WNBA. That could be a question. 
but <laughs> each their own. I'm not knocking you for it. Uh, listen, I remember Plum playing at Washington. I just, I had no idea what team she was on. You know, she's married to. Yes, uh, the tight end uh, for the Giants. That's um, he was on the Vegas uh, yep. Waller. Damn That's me. correct. Yes, I do know that. See, you know more than you thought you did. Yeah, I, I'm not. I just listen. I, I certainly will tell you when I don't have like the WNBA. I do not follow. I do not have the depth of knowledge to say. I, I do not not. I do not know what team Kelsey Plum was on, but I do know her from Washington. I do remember her there. Well, speaking of Vegas, I wanted to get to my my second story, this story about Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, I personally find this story comical because Jimmy Garoppolo, his time in Vegas looks like it's done. Not just because of the suspension, but because the team doesn't want to pay him money. So for those who didn't hear, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be suspended the first two games of next NFL season because he was prescribed medication without having a valid therapeutic use exception from the league. Jimmy will not appeal the suspension. He will miss the first two games. And as a result, the Raiders are going to cut him before mid-March to avoid paying him an $11.25 million roster bonus. Just an end to a uh, a um, probably a pretty bad decision to sign him in the first place. He was broken down, kind of beat up anyway when they got him. And listen, I'm not feeling bad for Jimmy Garoppolo. He's made plenty of money in his career. And if I'm Jimmy Garoppolo, I probably say, you know what? I've had my time. It's time for me to go off and live my life as Jimmy Garoppolo. Is his next life being on The Bachelor? Is that what it is? He could be on The Bachelor. He could do anything he wants with his looks. Because, I mean, you look around the quarterback market, I mean, Justin Fields might get traded. Russell Wilson's probably going somewhere. Kirk Cousins is going to be out there. Jimmy G is very low on the list of available interested quarterbacks. I would think so, um, unless you're one of these teams that say, hey, we want to get a, a veteran backup. Is he ready to go to that route? Is he coming to terms with, I've become the veteran backup guy? Um, the 33rd team put out the list of the 10 uh, best like free agent option quarterback. Now, obviously, he wasn't on that list when this uh, thing came out, but there's going to be a lot of uh, players out there, and I wonder if he now kind of vaults onto that list as a veteran quarterback, but is he ready to go, hey, I'm ready to be the $7 million backup? I mean, if he wants to play football, he's going to have to, Well, right? think about it. Like, Here's a crazy question for you. We haven't seen this yet. We know that the spring league is coming along, right? No. No, he's not playing in that. Why not? I would love to see it. Like, I think it would be cool to see players like that say, look, I just want to play football. Like, A.J. McCarron, he just re-signed with the St. Louis Battlehawks. This is the uh, UFL. He played in the XFL, which is now combined with the USFL to become the UFL. Got all that? A.J. McCarron was the quarterback for the Battlehawks. Now, he got signed to play with the Bengals. And then the Bengals released him, so he went back to see St. Louis. Not that he's a high-profile, great quarterback, but he's a guy that people should know. A.J. McCarron played at Alabama. Yep, national championship. But I would like to see the guys say, you know what? Or I would like to see that league go out and, and go after those type of players and give them the money. Like, if you're saying, hey, Garoppolo, you just got cut. You got into this thing um, with the, the suspension. You can play in our league. Like, okay, let's see. Like, back in the 80s when the USFL was around, it was a legitimate um, battle for players. Yeah, Steve Young played in that league. Although I don't want to see the great, great, great players go there and then not be in the NFL. 
No, but like, for example, if, if you know that the NFL, you don't have a future in the NFL anymore, like, uh, you know, as a starting quarterback like Jimmy G, if you truly love football, why not do it? Well, I think he can get a job in the NFL. That's why. I don't think he needs to do it, is my point. Okay. Well, as you're saying, A.J. McCarron does need Yeah, I don't think that A.J. McCarron's getting a job in the NFL unless the second-string guy or the third-string guy goes down and then you need him to come in and be like your new third-stringer. Right. Or like Joe Flacco. Yeah, but that's the thing. Garoppolo, now that's a new path, is you could be a quarterback, not go to camp, not sign with the team, and just wait for injuries to happen and be like, hey, I'm available. It's true. Jimmy Garoppolo, if he would have gone to the Jets last year. That would have been an improvement. No doubt. That's what I'm saying. So, like, if the Jets lost Aaron Rodgers in game one and Garoppolo was on the street, they could have called him up instead of going to Zach Wilson. Mike, my third story, so you know that I'm a big UFC guy. Uh, We wrote the article earlier today that New Jersey's own Aaron Blanchfield is going to be the headliner for UFC Atlantic City. Before we get to there, this weekend is a UFC fight card. And Henry Cejudo, you might remember him, he's the two-division champion. He's one of only a handful of guys to do it. He has said that if he loses at UFC 298, he will retire again. <laughs> so for those who don't know, Cejudo stepped away a few years ago after he retained his belt in 2020, so he didn't want to do it anymore. And he had a short little stint when he went to AEW and did the little pro wrestling thing. Well, he came back about a year and a half ago, and apparently he is taking an all-or-nothing approach to this. He basically said, quote, according to ESPN.com, I know how much bleep I've talked. I don't take any of this stuff personally because I can give it I can take it, and that means if I can't take it anymore, I'm out. So what's your question here? My question is... I mean, Cejudo is... Go ahead. Well, my question is, is that, you know, what is your position on when guys, you know, retire and come back? Because we've seen this in other sports. I mean, he lost the last... The last I remember, he lost to Al he did. That's his last fight. That's he lost that fight. Previous to that, he won six in a row. But that was before he retired. Right. But then he retired. So he loses that match, and then he retires. And then the guy comes back. I mean, what's my position? Uh, it's almost like I'm numb to it. This happens in boxing and fighting all the time. I saw Chuck Liddell on Radio Row. I mean, how many times did that guy go back or leave? Sometimes they retire. They don't want to retire. They're told they have to retire because the the, the, feder, uh, the you know, UFC doesn't want them, so they go fight. And like these offshoots because people are just begging to get a name to, to fight for them. I mean, these guys, that's all they know. And then once they get out of it, that's the hard part for any athlete. But when you're a fighter, you know, it's a very niche situation where if you're Henry Cejudo, you are great, but not well known enough that you can just start getting like signing deals and, and stuff like, you know, that like a football player or an MLB guy or an NBA guy, like, when you retire and you're like in your early 30s and you're like, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Some of these guys can do speaking engagement. Like if you're a UFC fighter and you're Henry Cejudo, I mean, I know who he is and I'm a casual UFC fan. But if you told me, hey, Henry Cejudo is going to be, 
signing autographs at Boardwalk Hall, I, I don't know that that's, uh, you know, so if he's getting an opportunity to fight again and then all of a sudden he feels like, you know what, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. I've been doing nothing for the last, uh, when did he fight? Uh, Suhudo was in 2020. You're talking three years. What's he done for the last three years? As I say, he did AEW for a little bit. He tried doing that. He tried doing the pro wrestling. I didn't know thing. he was in the AEW. I didn't. Yeah, know. he was. He was part of like a posse of guys at one point. Who like you know it was him, Mike Tyson, a couple of guys showed up for a few of the events. You know to take sides, like celebrity, you know, taking sides and like you know storylines. I, I would just hope that like you know like Liddell, for instance, that some of these promoters don't try to take advantage of them just because of their name. I don't think Cejudo's at that time in his career where he's like you're scared for him. He just fought Aljamain Sterling, which was the top of the card. Yeah. He, the bantamweight champion of the world. He tried to fight for the belt, couldn't get it back. By the way, he's one of seven fighters to win UFC belts in multiple weight classes, Mike. Can you name the other six? I cannot. <laughs> I, I, I know. I, I'm not, again, I just said I'm not going to get into, I have no problem saying when I'm out of my depth, uh, telling you the UFC multiple weight class champions would be one that would not be in my, in my area. Right. I would guess Bones Jones would be one. No. No? He's only been the late heavyweight champion. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. The heavyweight belt he won was the interim belt. So that doesn't count? Not according to some of the metrics. Okay. I was going to say, I could have sworn he was the heavyweight champion as well. Interim heavyweight. All right. Well, he had the, the, the heavyweight belt, but he was on the interim, so that doesn't count for this answer. Yeah. All right. Well, no, I don't have the other answers. <laughs> well, it would be BJ I would be, Penn. I was going to say, you're going to tell me or you're going to sit there and laugh at me? Well, you remember BJ <laughs> Penn, right? Uh, I remember the name, but it doesn't like jump off the page at me. Randy Couture. That's old school. George St. Pierre. Old school. Conor McGregor. Okay. You at least remember Conor, at least. Mm-hmm. I'm actually forgetting one of them, so. Well, if you forgot one, how the heck did I know it? Well, I figured that maybe you would name McGregor. Uh, I, I, might... I didn't know McGregor was bouncing weight classes as much. I thought he won in in his weight class and then bounced and was getting and then losing. Well, he beat Jose Aldo at featherweight and then he moved up and beat what was it uh, uh, Eddie Alvarez at lightweight. Yeah. So he, he's a two belter. Okay, yeah, but most of the, I figured that I knew he had one. Um, but as he was after he lost and then started to bounce around and just was fighting everybody. To get bigger money and was losing all those fights. I mean, I don't remember the last time he won a fight, to be honest with you. When was the last time McGregor won? <laughs> I think it might be seven years. Let me double check that. I don't even know. It's been so long since he won a fight. All right, we'll get you ready to wrap up the show on this Happy Hour Friday. Now, Happy Hour Friday is here. It's a President's Day weekend, so you got an extra day to enjoy. What is your Happy Hour Friday? Of choice this weekend. Hit me up before the show closes out at 609-403-0973. That's next. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app. All right, get ready to get out of here on this uh, happy hour for Friday. A couple texts, Joshua Gatebay says, Heavy Real Fly Society, a phenomenal hazy IPA, 4.15 on untapped. Where can I get that, Josh? Heavy Real Fly Society. Where are you buying it? Let me know. Hit me up on the text board, 609-403-0973. Sierra Novato IPA Torpedo. Got that on the, uh, sent to us, uh, as well. Uh, I'm getting, uh, getting ready to get out of here because we're short on time. I'm giving you communion of subjects. Try that beer out. It's over at the Seed in Atlantic City. I gave it a 4.25. I'm actually low. It's got a 4.3 untapped score. Communion of subjects. The Seed in Atlantic City. Check that baby out and thank me later. Couple texts uh, on Whit Merrifield. Love this move. Great veteran presence can play second base for his lefty and pitcher on late games for Schwarber and Casty. Love his speed on the bases. His glove. That's from Steve Ventner. Two hit wit. Yes, he's a guy who can. Give you two for four a lot of nights if he's in the lineup. Thanks for the text messages there as well. That's it for me. Uh, we spent a lot into a little amount of time today. And that's all I got for you. Have a great weekend, everybody. I'll be back on Monday right here on the Sports Bash where we will be getting into the Phillies as their full squad workouts are underway. We'll recap the Flyers Stadium Series game against the Devils. Take care, everybody. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks. You're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that Wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen.